Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live from SEC Media Days 2023 in Nashville. I am Ryan Lavoy, the host of this program today on the show. We're going to hear from everybody. We're going to hear from Brooks Childress. We're going to hear from Brant Daughtry, Tom Peavy. Cam Berry will join us a little bit later. We've got a fun show planned for you today. We've already got a lot of interviews cooked up. We do have a live interview coming up at about 3.30 with John McDade. He is the SEC coordinator of officials. We'll talk about a couple rule changes, not too many to go over, but we'll talk about the rules with John McDade coming up again at 3.30. In the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to start with some of our Auburn interviews. We've got all three players pre-recorded and on the show for you today. So Cam Stutz, we're going to have his pre-recorded interview at 4.15. Luke Deal, Auburn tied in at 4.30. Then at 5 o'clock, Elijah McAllister, the transfer from Vanderbilt. All three players again with us this afternoon. And then at 5.30, starting to wind down the show, we have a pre-recorded interview with Zach Blackerby, the host of the Locked On Auburn podcast we got a fun show planned for you. We've already done another pre-recorded interview that's going to be shelled for either tomorrow or Thursday. So we've been on top of things today. It's been a very productive day of SEC Media Days 2023 here on this Tuesday. Excited to be with you all again. Again, Ryan, Brooks, Tom, and Brant right now. Start with you today, Brooks. Uh, you've been uh, doing the been the master of editing, been uh, busy around here. Uh, good vibes, though, again here on this Tuesday? Yeah, uh, good vibes. We had a fun time last night at our media event that we got to go to at Bridgestone Arena. Had some good food. Uh, we also had some good food here at lunch. I, I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of the food. Uh, we've got snack time happening now down the hall from us, so I'm waiting for our, our next commercial break, and then I will be tackling uh, the, the table. Really, I'll just grab the table and wheel it back down here for us. How about that? Um, but it, it's it's a it's a great time. Uh, it's Auburn Day, the, and I mean a lot of I think around the the southeastern conference and around the country it's Georgia Day. But for us it's Auburn Day. Q Freeze here, a lot of uh, the Auburn contingency here. Uh, we were able to get some good interviews uh, set up and uh, executed. So I can't wait for everybody to hear those. Can't wait to talk to uh, talk about uh, everything that went down today. Not a lot said as per usual with the with the SEC Media Days, but. There was, there were some things of note uh, from everybody that was here. It was also, as I said, Georgia Day. It's, it's uh, Mississippi State Day. It's Vanderbilt Day. It, it's everybody. It, it's, it, it's another. It's a Tuesday at the at SEC Media Days, and uh, it, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun show we got for you today. Oh, absolutely, and we'll see what what. Uh what we have in store for the live variety. We'll see if I uh, burn my mouth up with Nashville hot popcorn. We'll just see what happens today. Brant Daughtry also on the show. Brant, day number two for you. We had a, uh, a full helping so far of uh, I'm doing great, guys. I, I don't know. What, you, know. You, you made a choice just now. And I it's, did. 
I, it I, has consequences. I'm doing fine, though. Uh, but, Brant, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Like you said, we kind of expected today the busy to be the busiest day for us, at least. You have Kirby Smart going first thing this morning. Actually, Clark Lee going first thing this morning, then Kirby Smart, and then Hugh Freeze uh, just got done about an hour ago. So, uh, we're, we're really, uh, I mean, it's it's been busy. And then, you know, you had the players come around during Radio Row. Unfortunately, Coach Freeze did not do anybody on Radio Row, so nobody got interviews with him today. But uh, it, his his press conference is where we all were. And then you had the, the whirlwind 20 or 30 minutes where we got all three Auburn players, which, which was awesome. It was so cool to talk to those guys, each of them different, each of them uh, d- doing their own, uh, had their own style, I guess. And... Uh, talking to those guys and Cam Stutz had a suit on I don't want to give away details don't want to spoil anything but we'll talk about that uh, when we get to his interview later but it's been a great day uh, Nashville hopefully the rain holds off because we have plants tonight but uh, <laughs> you know it's it's looking good and uh, yeah man it, it's just it's still so awesome to be here and like Brooks said that snack bar is looking real nice looking very snacky unfortunately for everyone, all of our pre-recorded stuff is in the second and third hour of the show. So hopefully, some of the snacks—it's yeah, it's a tease. Will it's last. a tease. Uh, Tom Beebe also on the show today. Tom, you did not have to make a five-hour drive today, so that was a positive. We saw you yeah. very early this morning, and I uh, hope you're doing well, man. I, I am doing well, and uh, yeah, y'all been talking about the food. See, y'all y'all get excited about the food here. I'm the foodie guy that likes to experience the taste of Nashville. So last night was Hattie B's hot chicken. Uh, that seemed derogatory, but I like food at all places, and we did talk about yeah. our Sunday meals. So, I, well, yeah, we, I just haven't had a new experience since yesterday. Yeah. But. First off, do uh, <laughs> you have any questions to Tom? First off, how dare you? No. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> so I did that. So I did the Hattie B's hot chicken last yes. night, and, and yes, my my insides paid for it a little bit. I have recovered. Uh, lunch was Desano's Pizza down at the Assembly Food Hall, which is down Broadway. Uh, man, you're going to talk about your head spinning. There's like a hundred different places to eat in there. And I could, I was just like all over. I couldn't decide, but got me some pizza there. Doing the peg leg porker tonight, so we're gonna do some uh, some uh, Tennessee style barbecue. I've got some Nashville hot popcorn sitting here in front of me, which I think was uh, Ryan's fine with. Is Ryan? Ryan, oh, it's okay? good. Okay, it's so, good. It, okay. I mean, it's 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 got a spice. Got a it's, kick. it's very present. That was, that was the choice with consequences I was alluding to a moment yeah. ago. No, no I'm all right though. He, it's he very good. Down. But, he settled uh, down. But. Uh, but, yeah, man, another day excited to be here. Uh, been kind of a gloomy day today here in Nashville. A little bit of rain came through, but it looks like some other weather trying to push through here. And, uh, you know, it was Auburn Day. Uh, they have, uh, you know, we were able to talk to the three players, but they have plans that they have to do later on this afternoon. So they were really – they were in and out real quick, whereas a lot of these other teams kind of linger around for, it seems like, forever. It seems like Kirby Smart was in here – around here forever. And uh, but Auburn's contingent came in, got done, got out because they had to fly back, fly to Birmingham, and there was weather moving in. So uh, fortunately, we were able to get the three players. Uh, got a video of Hugh Freeze coming up the escalator. But uh, yeah, excited to be here. A lot to talk about, and uh, definitely still good vibes in old Nashville, Tennessee, right now. Absolutely, and again, we've got a full interview lined up, planned today. Again, a lot of it pre-recorded. That's the nature of having the the late show and a lot of the the main work is going on in the morning and early afternoon again we did see uh auburn's uh crew come through here although to our knowledge again i'm referenced no hugh freeze on the program to our knowledge he did not hit radio row at all he uh we again we were in contact there trying to set that up and so 
Uh, if he did go to Radio Row, it was very briefly, and it was certainly not any of the tables around us, maybe in Birmingham or something like that. But so anyway, uh, we got uh, we got what we could, which was the other three Auburn players were really excited about that. We're going to go ahead and take our first time out of the show. When we come back, we'll start to talk a little bit about what we heard from Auburn today. We'll talk a little bit about Georgia as well, as those are the two biggest schools in Mississippi State kind of going through the car wash right now. A lot to talk about here on this Tuesday edition of Sports Call. Stay tuned. A lot is coming up next. Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player, national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger 9FM, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brand Dontry, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here. Our chief snacks. Our intern, T.P. Hammock, running the board and taking your phone calls here this afternoon. Thunder chickens. We're not going to be a part of it no. tonight. Uh, we have uh, professional things to do, <laughs> and so that's why we are here. Uh, before we get to John McDade at 3.30, we know we'll have some phone calls to take in a little bit, too. But we want to uh, recap a little bit what we heard from Hugh Freeze as he was in the main media room at 1 o'clock today. Uh, a little bit shorter kind of opening speech. Some of them can be 15, 20 minutes that don't allow for many questions. Some of them can be 5 to 10. Some say that they're going to go uh, only 10 minutes and right, then longer. Right. <laughs> uh, the, the late Mike Leach said seven words last year. Uh, yes, seven words, and so you just never know. But the shorter it is, the more Q&A it is, and so he Freeze only went about seven or eight minutes and then had a, a good portion of Q&A. Guys, what were some of your takeaways from uh, listening to the Auburn head football coach? The thing that stuck out to me the most, there were two things. One, when he started talking about the QB battle, yes, he touched on Robbie Ashford. Yes, he touched on Peyton Thorne. But he also explicitly mentioned Holden Gurner when, when no one else did. Uh, so... I, will Holden Gurner win that spot? I don't know, but it's worth noting that Hugh Freeze did say that name when no, when he was not asked about him. So certainly Holden Gurner is on his mind. The other one is that he did confirm, and I know he's talked about this, this a couple of times, but reiterated that Philip Montgomery is going to be the primary play caller. Hugh Freeze is going to be kind of entering that CEO role, and Philip Montgomery is going to be the guy calling plays at, on offensive downs which is interesting to me because Hugh Freeze has been a primary play caller for his entire career. He has been uh, – he made his money on being a great offensive mind and calling plays down to down. So the fact that he's stepping away from that and handing it over to Philip Montgomery strikes me as a little bit odd. And I wish that was something we could have interviewed him about because it's a, it, it's a topic that I think bears thinking about a little bit. The thing that stood out to me, and it was, uh, it was asked – uh, the question that was asked, and it, it was—it's something that we've—we've been—it's been brought up by a couple of our callers uh, when when Hugh was asked about Jarquez Hunter uh, being able to participate in spring uh, spring football. There hasn't really been a lot on that front in the in a while. Um, everything's kind of been hush hush. But he was asked is and about it, and it was basically a no comment. It was a yeah. I can't comment on university policy right now, and so you know that. 
that leaves you wondering what what's going to happen here uh, with with Jarquez Hunter uh, in his you know how how the year is going to start with him. And so I think that was a big question, big takeaway from uh, from from Hugh Freeze. And then also, you know, he got, he was asked about his journey back to the SEC, really, and from from his time what he uh, his time at Ole Miss ended, back to to Liberty, and how he said he was not think after Ole Miss the Ole Miss uh, time ended, he wasn't really thinking about uh, getting back into the SEC about it, when that opportunity if it, if it ever could come, and then. He talked about having uh, starting to have some success at um, at Liberty, and he said, "All right, this could be a real possibility here coming in." And then, yeah, like you said, uh, Brant, you, you talked you, you talked about uh, the play calling duties, and you know he he, he said he you know he, he said he wanted to be careful how he phrased it, and I, I thought it was funny how he, he said, "I want to be careful how I phrase this," but at one time I thought I was the best play caller in the country, and it was like, "All right." I see you. You're, you know, and, and there was a time where he was certainly in that discussion. And so, and he said he was not. He didn't feel like he was the best play caller, one of the best play callers in the country at Liberty. And so, it makes sense that he's bringing someone in. Uh, if he still, you know, if he felt like he wasn't one of the best play callers, it makes sense that he play, bring someone in that's kind of that is uh, same offensive philosophy as him, uh, but that he still has is able to step in. Like he said, he, he holds the right to be able to step in and and uh, call a play in a certain situation that he would like to. And we, I think we saw that at the uh, with Gus Malzahn a couple times at Auburn where he'd have an offensive coordinator that was calling the plays, but he held the right to call to step in and call plays. I think you see that a lot with, with most offensive, as, uh, offensive coaches that are not nece- necessarily the play callers at their team. And so, yeah, uh, it, was, it was some interesting stuff uh, said by Hugh today. His, for his first SEC media days back in the SEC after a couple years. So I, I think that uh, I wrote down several different things. I don't want to hit on all of them right now. Uh, but I will say a couple of things that, that stood out to me earlier in the speech was we've talked in recent years. And, look, you don't have to believe everything that a coach says. Certainly that's, that's not going to be the case that everything's the truth. However, I found it interesting. He spent – a good block of time in the opening statement about the alignment of the power structure at Auburn. And that is something that was obviously talked a lot about during the Harson tenure. Uh, it was not seemingly aligned. It was something that with Alan Green kind of on the way out, with the boosters, with the president, with everything going on, it was just not on the same page during the Brian Harson tenure, really, really at any point. Uh, maybe even to some degree at the end of the Malzahn tenure, but certainly in the Harson tenure. And then so for Hugh Freeze to go up there and say, I think that at an all-time level, everyone here is aligned, the president, the administration, all the way down to me, everything's aligned. Look, I, do you want to believe it? Maybe, maybe not. But it is important, and I, I, I can buy it to some degree because I think it's certainly more aligned than it was. You know, and what will align them further is more and more victories. Obviously, there was a portion of the fan base when he was getting announced that was not pleased that it was going to be Hugh Freeze at all. So I think it takes some sort of unity amongst the power structure to begin with to push that through. I think if it was a 50-50 call, I think that could have wavered a little bit more. But obviously, they went through with it, and I think it's uh, clearly, you know, so far from the offseason point of view, been working out. Now, obviously, the win-loss part of it will always dictate that, and, and we'll get it. 
to that in, in just a, a few weeks for the first time. But I, I think the power structure part of it, that's always that, that's something that I think maybe a lot of schools take for granted, but I don't think Auburn's one of them that can because of the way that the last few years transpired. So I found that to be kind of an interesting starting point because that was one of the very first things that he mentioned in his uh, his opening speech today. Yeah, I, I I would expect that he would say that talking about everybody being aligned, and I like that. But uh, let's be honest: if 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 this season falls, if 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 Auburn falls on their face this season. The doubters are going to be there, and uh, and you know we'll we'll see what happens. Well, sure, but I think that also you just you don't have to bring that up. No, you know, I mean, I, I mean, like that's something that we had not really been talking about in recent months because it just wasn't right. necessary. So sure. it didn't have to be one of the first things out of his mouth. And of course, you know, if they go six and six this year, or forbid five and seven or something, then yeah, I mean, sure, like it, it would any time. Right. But I think the important thing here is gating back to Harson now that we're after the fact that we're more knowledgeable in hindsight's 2020 that wasn't even a line hiring process right. that was not even necessarily the guy that everyone had had agreed upon i think that it's been more agreeable yeah. this time and and that's probably why it was mentioned by him yeah well and and also hopefully you know i i, I shouldn't say hopefully um i'm sure also heading off the fact that we and we even talked about it about uh the, the past and, and the questions that he was likely going to get asked by folks that dealt with that negativity and everything. And so I'm sure the questions were probably still right there on the tip of, of some reporters' tongues about, you know, is everybody aligned? Is everybody on board with this? And so for him to just go ahead and get out in front of that, good on him. And uh, I'm glad to hear it, and, and I just I hope it stays that way. But as long as the recruiting keeps going the way it is and hopefully those results come on the field, then I think it will all start looking like uh, the people in charge were maybe the smartest people in the room at the time. Well, I very much think that the people in charge are aligned right now. I mean, let's let's think about it. The board put Chris Roberts in charge, and then Chris Roberts, his first job was to hire an athletic director, and he went out and got John Cohen. Then John Cohen's first real job was to hire a football coach. So right now... Those three are totally in line with each other. Chris Roberts, John Cohen, and Hugh Freeze are all linked. They're all right. married. They're joined at the hip. So they've, to put it frankly, they freaking better be aligned right now before they well, ever lose a game, before they ever have a disappointing season. So, yes, I think those are aligned right now. And, yes, I think a large part of the fan base is behind it for the reasons I've mentioned. Momentum, especially in the offseason, is incredibly fickle. And it will get tossed on its head if the t- if the guys start to lose games, but for the moment, yes, I, I definitely think the power structure at Auburn, the the people employed at Auburn, are definitely in alignment. Right. Well, and and, and I again, I say that I like to hear that. I like to hear the alignment, and I agree those three. But everybody, you know, in order for there to be success, and obviously the success is going to come on the field, you need the alumni based aligned. You need everybody aligned, and that and that's going to come on the field. You're starting to see a little bit of alignment, I think, with uh, the way the recruiting has gone so far because I think even a lot of his detractors are kind of jumping on board now because they see that forward progress. However, again, how fickle they are. You lose a recruit, like top five, a five-star wide receiver out of Phoenix City, that everybody had crystal ball to Auburn, he decommit or he doesn't not decommit, but he commits to Texas A&M over Auburn, 
and all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, well, see, here you go. So it's those folks. Now, I don't know if they're ever going to be in line because they may just be so damn fickle that you can't please them. That's a possibility. But even then, I would like to see that type of full alignment on board with everybody to where if there is a misstep, if there is a bad loss, if there is a recruiting thing that you lose out, it's everybody can still just take a step back and go, well, that's fine, you know, but we still got this. So. Right. And, and there's, again, there, like you said, there are certain portions of the fan base that are entirely on a dime, and the only thing that matters is what happens today. It's, it, winning recruiting battles doesn't matter. What matters is winning games. Now, yes, you have to have good players to do that, and to get good players, you have to recruit well. So, yes, recruiting is important. I'm not saying it's not. But from the purpose of aligning your fan base, quote-unquote, aligning your alumni, whatever, aligning the power structure, that is all won and lost by the results on the field. And and to just kind of keep that going and talking about people being unaligned, how, how many people of power, let's just think about last year in the Missouri game, how many people of power secretively inside of them or maybe even out out, just out and out forward with it wanted Missouri to cross the goal line with that ball? They wanted him to fail. They wanted him to fail so bad that they so they could have a reason to get him out of there. I don't think for a minute that that's the case right now with Hugh Freeze, that it that the, line, the alignment is there that there's not people, especially people of major power, that are hoping that he is going to be a failure so that they can sit there and go, ha-ha, I was right. I, I will say this. I, I, I can't speak for the people in positions of power, the board or the boosters or whoever. Uh, it, we're, we're Whatever shadowy figures we're talking about when we name powers that be or whatever. The Missouri game is when I checked out on Brian Harson. That's when I right. was fully out of the camp. And I... It takes a very long time for me to lose faith in a coach. You know, I've I've said it before. A son of a coach, I usually sympathize with coaches. It takes a lot for me to go, yeah, this just didn't work out, and getting a new face in here is what this program needs. So if I checked out at that moment, it, I would wager that probably over 80% of the fan base right. was. And, you know, you start doing the math on that, I'd say that was probably when the powers that be were kind of going, all right, it's probably done. We're going to keep it right here because we believe we're going to be joined by John McDade and just uh, – a matter of moments once uh, one last interview finishes up, so I uh, don't want to go to break just yet. But, again, talking a little bit about Hugh Freeze uh, and his uh, opening uh, opening press conference comments, uh, basically uh, the, the bit about play calling will always be at the forefront. And, look, it, it's not exclusive to Auburn, although it was clearly a uh, an issue for Auburn in, in 2013 through, I would say 13, things were great, and 14 were things were great. From 2015 on to 2019, it was uh, it was certainly a topic. And now, analyze it to a degree, but obviously we're going to talk a little bit about it. The the deal with Philip Montgomery again, Hugh Freeze talked a lot about it, uh, where I think that the the emphasis for Hugh Freeze was let's keep doing what we're doing, but let's also uh, change some things because he said he'd given a lot of advice around in the in the league. Right. He, he talked he talked about how his terminology was starting to get picked up by other coaches. Yeah, and and uh, that part of it was very much so uh, an issue where he did not want to give too much away. 
uh, where he did not want to uh, have a, an issue uh, uh, of getting some other teams to know too much about it. And uh, we're again live on Radio Row here at SEC Media Days 2023, and we're very pleased to be joined by the head of officials in the SEC, John, Mc, um, John McDade, joining us now. Uh, John, the, the time is greatly appreciated. was there early this morning with you as your uh, presentation, yearly presentation was going on. Uh, how how things gone this week? How are you feeling? Things are going terrific. I always say if I have an issue here in uh, late July, things are really, really going sideways <laughs> for me. Uh, everyone's undefeated. Everyone's happy. Uh, things are going great. It's always great to spend time here. Um, I love sharing, uh, you know, what we do. And uh, so thanks for the opportunity to spend some time with you guys this afternoon. Absolutely. For those of us that were able to attend that, there was a lot of video presentation part of it. And so obviously that uh, will not aid our listener very much. But uh, let's recap kind of everything that went on there and ask you a few questions going forward. Let's start with the rule change, which there are not many this year. Uh, as noted earlier, but obviously people are going to want to know about the timing aspect of it with the first down, uh, with the clock continuing to run. Again, for our listener, what all went into that process and and uh, what are you going to be trying to observe as a metric of, of achieving what you want it to achieve? Yeah, the, uh, the stakeholders in the game, first and foremost, are concerned about the number of plays in a game. Um, would we like games to be shorter? We, more importantly, would we like less games that are three hours and 45 minutes or longer? Sure, absolutely. But from a safety standpoint, you know, from a well-being for the student-athlete, the stakeholders are concerned about the number of plays. So the rule change with keeping the clock running with a first down and bounds outside of two minutes left in the half is first and foremost to see if we can get slightly less plays in a game. Um, how much less plays are we going to have? That's the million-dollar question. Um, we have the rule change. We're going to go play the 23 season, and next off season we'll, we'll, we'll crunch the, the data and, and, and see what kind of effect it had. My prediction is it's going to have no more than uh, a reduction of five plays per game is, is, is what I believe. Because, again, you talk to the fan because, again, we, we hear phone calls all the time and that sort of thing, and I guess their main concern would be, you know, the, the, the deal with, uh, we want less commercials, we want more action, that sort of thing. There's also the consideration that I would say that, that obviously there are more games for certain teams now and that part of the thing. And uh, with the more plays, you're certainly trying to make sure that there's not more contact in an ever-physical game. What would you say, though, to people that, that did have those concerns or, or what would be a target number of plays that, like, for example, do you, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but, like, what would have been a play count for us 20 or 30 years ago? Like, are we still even taking a number of plays out now? Would we still be at more plays than we were 20, 30 years ago? Um, an interesting question because one thing is uh, it turns out we don't have the most – a complete and accurate data set on how many plays we had in a game 20 to 30 years ago. It was just, just wasn't something that we placed a lot of uh, effort in. And we, the collective we, uh, spent a lot of effort in recording. So we've tried to go off and have those kinds of um, analyses and the, the data from the 90s and, and even in the early 2000s doesn't seem to be uh, collected in the same way that we collect that, that data today. I'll just say that. I, I, I can say that, that Right now, we're about 178, 179 plays per game uh, on average across all of FBS. No one's saying that's a bad number. What the stakeholders are looking at is the number of games that have 200-plus plays in it. Um, and if you can remember, a number of years ago, uh, we had in the SEC a seven-overtime game. 
that added, I think, something around, something in the low 40s. Like almost a quarter's worth of extra plays at the end of a game for effectively a, a fifth quarter. Great, great concern on the impact that has on the, the, the health and well-being of the student-athlete who's already played four quarters of football, and now they're asking to play them equivalent of another quarter, right? We, we reacted immediately um, and changed our, our overtime rules so that we drive down drastically the probability we'll have that many plays added to the end of the game. That's the same thought process that's going into trying to drive down the number of plays. It's not that 178 is unacceptable. We need to get it to, I'm just going to pick a number out of the air, 170, right? It's how do we drive down the probability that we have that much less games that's 190, 200, 210 plays. We had a couple of games last year, um, not necessarily in the SEC. I believe they were uh, 223 or 224 plays. That's a lot. Yeah. It is uh, a lot. Triple digits for both teams. Is and here I'll put it in this context. The average number of plays in a game in an NFL game last season, 22 season, 154. Okay. Wow. I, so when you, when you, the staff, and, and all the officials kind of get together, I mean, is, is, and you're looking at changes of things, is it the player safety, is that the main thing that y'all are looking for as far as kind of adapting things, changing things? I mean, is the player safety like a number one what we've got to focus on? Player safety is absolutely paramount. You right. know, I'll, I'll say unequivocally, yes. Um, I believe where we are as an officiating organization on um, um, Rule 9 has all of the personal fouls. Um, how we call roughing the passer, running and roughing into the kicker, uh, blocking below the waist, blindside blocks. We're in a pretty good place. Right. Um, so our, our clinic, which we're having next week in Birmingham, the, it, for those subjects, we'll reinforce what we've already done. Sure. You know, reinforce the framework of judgments we want to use, show them good examples of what we've done, make sure we don't backslide off those kinds of things. Then there's parts of the game, and I covered a little of this um, uh, earlier this, this morning, where the game's evolving very quickly. And um, how do we as officials make sure we stay ahead of the curve and that when we have these issues come up in our games, that we're consistently applying the rules from one game to the next, one weekend to the next. Right. And with that player safety, and I, you know, obviously we hear it a lot from the fans. There's the targeting rule. Obviously, nothing is changing with that yet. But you know, there's the whole ejection on the targeting, and you hear it so much. You know, is there a way that they can change that to where you're not kicked out of a game for targeting? Is that something that has been discussed at all, maybe for the future, or how are the officials looking at targeting and how that is being punished? I guess as the game yeah. goes on. I can't necessarily explain this because I wasn't in the room, but I'm led to believe that the there was far less discussion about the penalty on targeting this offseason than there was the previous three offseasons. Okay. Uh, which I'm going to interpret, or I have interpreted, as we're starting to accept better what the penalty for targeting is. Right. And when I say we, it's the collective we. Uh, and so, John, when we're talking about targeting, I think you uh, said it was like point one one. So it's like uh, once every nine games in the or something SEC like that last in the season. SEC. That's correct. So that has gotten way down. Is an, as a byproduct of that, I would assume it's also trying to teach people a different way to tackle. And so you want that number to go down, not only because well, it's fewer dangerous hits. It kind of shows you that they're actually finding the the correct or a more efficient way of tackling. I would say you're absolutely correct. If you look at the um the number of targetings per game across all of the FBS for the last two seasons, 20 to 21 and then 21 to 22, we've had a 68% reduction from 20 to 22. And people ask me what do I attribute it to. Absolutely attribute it to player behavior. 
that they're they're doing the things we're asking them to do to take the head and the helmet out of these violent collisions. And so, John, I know this is more of an NFL topic, but I'm curious. We, we have you on right now. So in this world of officiating in various sports, we're seeing way more AI and we're seeing way more automated stuff. And, and obviously we, we use a, a more advanced replay system and that sort of thing. But I, what do you try or what kind of ways do you think not to replace the officials because we don't want to do that, but what kind of ways can AI or, or something technical continue to aid officiating further yeah you know I, I i'll have two responses here one's more oriented towards the teams although it, it applies to officiating teams for decades have been breaking down video to find tendencies to understand what um uh their opponents trying to do on offense and defense and special teams for their upcoming games right and for for a long period of time they would have graduate assistants and other um, non-accountable coaches breaking down that game film, feeding it to the coach successfully they come up with their game plans. Recently, recently being um, sometime in the last 10 years, there are now services um, that do this, this sort of thing. Um, one service that I'm fairly familiar with because we use it in our officiating department and a lot of our teams use it is something called Pro Football Focus. And what, what PFF does is they have an army of analysts that will sit and break down. They, they, they obviously started with the NFL and they're now doing it in college. They break down that game film and provide all the statistics, tendencies, whatnot, that took to take the place of the GAs used to do it. So GAs now are doing different things. They don't have to do that kind of thing. One of the things I've heard is, can you use artificial intelligence to study the video and have AI create all of these tendencies and statistics and whatnot? Um, I think it'll probably happen. Um, I don't know if it'll happen in two years, five years, or ten years, but I think eventually... AI will get to the point where they'll be able to do that. So that, that's, that's one response. As far as how we more directly might use it for um, officiating, using it for training and development purposes is the, the obvious thing um, that, that, that I can think of. But I'll say this. Um, what artificial intelligence is all about is replacing what goes on in the human brain for cognitive abilities, cognitive decisions, cognitive reasoning, and put it in a machine. That's a very simple explanation of what AI is all about. Before you go and jump in and start using AI, a question that I have had started this past offseason, I'll continue to, to work on, is is there a way to profile the cognitive abilities that um, translate to what makes a good umpire, what makes a good referee, what makes a good line judge, right? And I've had discussions with some outside uh, companies, consultants, Consultants, by the way, that some of our teams are using because they're trying to understand the cognitive abilities that describe a really good defensive uh, safety or a very good wide receiver or, or quarterback or whatever the case may be. And, um, <clears throat> you know, can you help officials develop the cognitive abilities that are most in line in being a good football official? Um, that I think I want to tackle before I actually go whole hog into how can AI uh, help me. Um, hopefully, I didn't go too deep there. No, you're good. I, will, I mean, hey, look, I, I love, I love it. Again, I'm here. I wouldn't have been here at 8 a.m. if it was not for the presentation that you get every year. I'm fascinated by this stuff. Well, one other thing that I was going to say is talking about cognitive ability. Apparently, some of the officials here in the SEC have been doing a pretty darn good job. As uh, unfortunately, y'all lost some to the NFL. And, yeah, we. And so, we I mean, it says a lot for the caliber of officials if now the nfl is picking guys yeah up. yeah you know it's 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 certainly as a coordinator uh, a bittersweet moment sure. um we we lost five terrific officials 
uh, four on-field officials and one replay official uh, to the NFL this past season. And uh, just a um, terrific uh, opportunity for those officials, um, recognition for the great job they've been doing on right. the field. But we lose them, and we've we got we to create tomorrow's uh, – uh, top-notch officials. Well, hopefully things do not get as crazy in the league office as they're getting behind us uh, with the severe <laughs> thunderstorm blowing in. I've got a front seat to uh, quite a bit of thunder, quite a uh, thunderstorm that's going through town. Absolutely. So final question for you, John. We'll let you go. And, again, we appreciate the time. Uh, again, talking to John McDay, the SEC coordinator of officials. As you look forward to this 2023 campaign, I know this past year was not a big rule change year, but that leads to the next year being a, a more comprehensive look at everything. So what are some of the things that next year you'll look at it and are kind of trying to evaluate more closely this this fall you know we, we always could do better with the, uh, the legal contact between defender and receiver downfield whether it's defensive pass interference or defensive holding or flipping around offensive pass interference right the, by far the most challenging part of our game um we're always going to work hard buckle down and and um <clears throat> you know spend that extra time in training development in our clinic on, the, on, on that um what's going on pre-snap between the defense and offense um that's evolving quicker than any part of the game. Um, we're going to make sure that we're all on the same page on that. Another thing that's happening that's evolving quickly, I didn't cover this this morning, but um, the shifting and motion that's going on in punts with these spread punt formations, trying to free up. Um, you know, spread punt formations basically have um, – they're hiding who the true gunners are, right, who they're trying to break free and get downfield. It's not like the two wide guys are the most obvious candidates to sit down. Some teams try to put some – really good athletes at snapper and they turn into a, a gunner that's right going right down the center of the field that that, that challenges so hammer the fundamentals look at where the game's evolving where we need to react to it make sure we're all on the same page before we leave each other after spending 72 hours in birmingham alabama next weekend and then go out and attack the season Excellent stuff. John McDade, the SEC coordinator of officials with us today. John, really appreciate the time. Uh, good luck hitting all the other different stations here in Nashville, and uh, we look forward to the season coming up. I very much appreciate it and enjoyed it, and uh, you guys got me before my voice went away. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Appreciate it, John. Take care. That is John McDade, the SEC coordinator of officials, joining us today on Sports Call. We're going to take one final time out in hour number one, back to wrap it up right after this. timeout sports call will be back after this quick break i'm deshaun davis former auburn tigers football player and all sec linebacker you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 welcome back to sports call tiger 95.9 Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brant Daughtry, and Brooks Childers with you here on this Tuesday, SEC Media Days 2023. Appreciate John McDay, the SEC Coordinator of Officials, for joining us just a moment ago. If you missed that, check it out in the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. It is absolutely pouring behind us now. We had a gust of wind, and our friends from Mobile uh, to the left there almost uh, lost some uh, equipment and had a big uh, wind gust as the door was cracked and 
blew it the was, door open. It was a, I was trying to say. It was an ordeal. The bad thing is, is the door has to be cracked because ESPN's got their wires running out of it. And so the, if the they wind catches somehow, it, yeah. it's it's going. They got somebody trying to keep it, keep it uh, closed, basically. Uh, we had, we had John, when we had John McDade on, on, I looked over my shoulder back behind us and saw that squall line coming. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. And then all of a sudden all the dust and everything from the construction area below down down below us started blowing up. It yeah. got wicked. It's pretty crazy. Really quick. We got six or seven minutes left here in hour number one. So let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one 9 First up on the show today. James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good at War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I know. I was listening earlier uh, to Coach Breeze, and uh, I heard some great things. And I and I didn't. I heard some great things about the upcoming uh, football season. And one thing in particular that he said was that Auburn it, this year the record is going to be nine and seven. Once I heard that, that really that really made me upset as well. Well, I mean, that is 16 games. Obviously, Auburn plays a 12-game season, so maybe maybe they met 9-3. and three. I, You know, I don't – some media members might think Auburn would be around 6-6, six and six, but I, I uh, maybe he was referencing a 9-3 and three season. Yeah, because I was listening to some of the other, uh, you know, other media members, and I, there, were, there was one guy that was talking to Hugh Freeze. He was saying, do you think – he was talking to Coach Freeze, and he was saying, uh, "Do you think that Auburn? Do you think that we are going to go nine and seven? And once they showed the schedule, I started counting like some of the games that we were going to win, and then some of the games that we were going to lose. And I think Auburn this year, I think we might go uh, five and six this year, or six and six this year." Well, you know that would be a uh, a little bit lesser of a record. Hopefully, they do better than that. But again, that's these are just predictions. We'll all play it out in the field, September, October, and November, and we're we're certainly looking mm-hmm. forward to it. Yes, and then with the uh, prediction, you know, from last year that I've seen, um, you know, once they said that, you know, the the percentage of Auburn actually winning some games. Nobody knows how many games Auburn is going to win this year. I mean, it could be a possibility. The Auburn fans this year, this is a new year. This is something that Auburn is really going to look forward to. We got a a great head coach that has great coaching experience with both, uh, you know, with both teams in in the SEC under his belt. He coached at Old Miss and he coached at Liberty. So this is a good head coach that, most new Auburn fans are really going to see in uh, Hugh Freeze as well. What else is on your mind today, James? Well, I'm actually looking at uh, some NFL news that that's going to be coming up real soon because I know we're like, uh, I should say we're like 45 days away to the opening kickoff uh, of you know the opening season, and I'm looking at some great things are coming out of uh, the Jets and uh, seeing um, how Aaron Rodgers is actually going to start his, how he's going to start his new, his new career and, and um, with the Jets as well, because I know 
uh, they did uh, hard knocks last couple of weeks, and it was really good. I didn't see it, but I know other people are Jets fans, so I know they wanting to look at a new uh, Aaron Rodgers and seeing if the New York Jets are going to be a Super Bowl contender. And I think this year would be their year to actually make it to the Super Bowl as well. Yeah, I know that you've been showing the New York Jets some love for sure. I mean, they've got the uh, the Hall of Fame game coming up in a few weeks. And, again, everyone's going to be fascinated to see Aaron Rodgers in a Jets uniform. But, uh, yeah, pretty interesting uh, stuff for sure. What else is on your mind today? Well, I'm actually uh, looking at some uh, things that are going to be, you know, next week for uh, the NASCAR playoff. And um, I know it's getting it's getting kind of – uh, it's getting close to, close to that time as well, so I'm actually looking at uh, if um, if Martin Truex Jr. is actually going to win another uh, another race before he calls it his retirement. So I'm not quite sure. Um, he he might have uh, that retirement in the near future. Now I know Kevin Harvick. I know he's retiring from racing, so uh, he won't be racing in, in NASCAR this year. Yeah, yeah. So Kevin Harvick is retiring, as you said. There's, there's no announcement on Martin Truex Jr. I know that he is certainly towards the end of his career, but he might end up racing in next year. No, he won at New Hampshire yesterday, and uh, certainly trying to have a, a big second half to his year. Yes, as well. And then with my favorite driver, um, Bubba Wallace, I know he's he's looking uh, kind of in a different mindset with his uh, documentary on Netflix and they're adding he's adding some more um, some more stuff to the documentary as well so it, it, it's looking really good as well absolutely I bet we're down to about one more minute with you here James so what else do you have for us well I'm actually looking at uh, some uh, NBA news and uh, seeing uh, if LeBron James is actually going to play in his old jersey number which is uh, quite true um, he said they were asking LeBron James earlier today if he was going to play in his old jersey, jersey number six for the Los Angeles Lakers, and he said no, he's not going to wear the number six jersey. So he wants to give uh, all high praises to the late great Bill Russell as well. So I think that's a really good thing, and I think with LeBron James actually going back to number 23, I think that will be a really good for him as well yeah i know uh jj jackson will be a big fan of lebron going back to jersey number 23 and i think a lot of people uh, will like that move for sure well james we appreciate the phone call today and uh, any final thoughts for us well i know that we have a big game tonight and um i'm, I'm hoping that the thunder chickens will win as well so i'm just gonna see uh, what the what the outcome is going to be like for us as well Absolutely. We look forward to it. We hate that we're in Nashville, but the rest of the team will be at it back in Auburn. Appreciate the phone call today, James. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Appreciate James for chatting with us today. We are out of time for hour number one, but stay tuned. More phone calls ahead in hour number two. But also, we got Cam Stutz. We got Luke Deal, two Auburn football players coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. Stay tuned. Much more sports call right after this.
One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger FM, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress. Grant Daughtry and Tom Peavy with you here live from Radio Row. 2023 SEC Media Days here in Nashville, Tennessee. Appreciate T.P. Hammock for running the board and taking phone calls back in our Tiger Communications studios. Again, a big couple of hours coming up on the program. Pre-recorded interviews galore. Cameron Stutz, 4.15 today. We'll play that interview. Luke Deal, Auburn tied in at 4.30. And then at 5 o'clock today, Elijah McAllister, the transfer linebacker from Vanderbilt, uh, he will be on our show. So we'll play those interviews, have a little commentary on some of their position groups and that sort of thing. And then a little bit later at 5.30, Zach Blackerby, the host of the Locked On Auburn podcast, will join us. So, again, a full show planned for you. With that, let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line to open up hour number two at 334-887-341 locally or toll-free. One triple eight nine Tiger Nine. Next up on the show today, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you doing this afternoon? Hey, apparently I'm doing better than you guys are weather-wise. Uh, I didn't know that you were experiencing tornadic winds. Yeah, uh, some some pretty heavy gusts again blew the door open right beside us. Fortunately, we are not directly in front of the door, and they've tried to have a fix for it. But uh, yeah, it is a, a severe thunderstorm warning for uh, the Nashville area. Well, first I want to let you know how much. You guys are appreciated for getting uh, the uh, people I've already heard on the radio. Uh, uh, really great conversation with uh, the, the uh, SEC, uh, I guess, the, the, uh, the head, head of the of officials, uh, yeah. uh, uh, the official officiating. And I know you guys, you know, have to be, you know, at some point, you know, delicate in your questions. Had I been there, I probably would have lasted more than one day as a journalist, a sports writer, because I would have asked you this question, guys. Uh, what prevents you're allowing the officials to be available to sports writers uh, and sports journalists following games for any questions? Yeah, you know, I mean, that would have been an interesting question. Uh, you know, I admittedly I had not thought about that one. I wouldn't be uh, necessarily opposed to that sort of question. But, we, you know, we only get this one opportunity, and look, at, that's certainly fair to wonder. But, I'm just such a, a rules guy uh, from time to time and like to be able to chat about everything that they're looking at in the league office because, again, you don't get that kind of uh, access all the time. And so, uh, again, that, that would have been a fair question, I think. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we, just, we chose to, to, to kind of focus on the actual rule changes and then what might be coming down the pipes. Yeah, and I guess a, kind of a piggyback or associated question would be to Commissioner Sankey uh, what is the justification for 
there are penalties, apparently, or severe punishments uh, to the coaches uh, if they make any criticisms vocally, publicly, about the shading. Yeah, well, we were, so we also went to the, uh, as alluded to, the presentation that John McDay did this morning, and he pointed out, and look, I know that all fans will not like the answer to this, but there is a, a fair point there. Uh, that when they're looking at it, they're trying to – they understand that they're not going to be perfect. I think we all understand that in anything anyone does, it's hard, if not impossible, to be perfect. And so what they try to do is they, they do have a, a grading system for their referees, and they look out, if you missed a call, was it a call earlier in the game or was it a call that, that, tr- that ended up dictating potentially or potentially dictating the, the outcome of the game? And they try to focus on making sure that their performance is better even better at the end of games than at the beginning games. And I know that, look, they're still going to miss calls. We're still going to be agitated about it. We're still going to bring it up from time to time. But ultimately, and unfortunately, there's no way for them to be perfect. So they do understand that, but they try to gear it towards not making game-changing calls later in games and, and trying to eliminate as many mistakes as possible the later you get into a game. That's, that's understandable. I just have never quite understood why our coaches, you know, uh, penalize, punish, uh, fine uh, to uh, voice any you know comments about officiating in a particular game. I've never quite uh, under, understood and appreciated the reason that they are sort of like you know um, gagged. In other words, well, because also too, you know, we we focus on maybe one or two bad calls, maybe even three or four in the course of a game. Uh, however, that there was still other calls to be made or not to make. Technically, there's a call to be not made or not made on every play. And so if we're, we always, and we do this, and we're fair on this side of it to focus on the couple of things they got wrong and if it impacted the game and that sort of thing. But they're also fair to point out what about the other 85, 90, 95% of things that they get correct throughout the course uh, of a game. So it, it can go either way. And, again, we will always be, look, you know that I've had – my issues before too and again we certainly know that they do end up influencing certain outcomes of games but again the, you know the, the as far as penalizing them they're not just looking at the one or two pit, you know big mistakes that we talk about towards the end of the game they're looking at the entire body of the work just just as we would do uh w- with any other profession or any other athlete or or anything like that okay maybe i i, I wouldn't make sense i just understand what i'm mean, why coaches are prevented and they're, in fact, they're, they're fine if they challenge or question officiating during the game. That's all I'm getting at. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, no, I don't, uh, I don't know other than just you, you already get enough uh, attention and, and media attention from uh, parties that, again, don't agree, like the media or uh, obviously how readily available it is for a fan to criticize or that sort of thing. I think the last thing they need is people that are still – kind of employed within the league or, or, or people that work kind of alongside the league to then also be criticizing because in, in some forms or fashion it would almost be like someone in a lower tier or some other part of your company you know criticizing someone another member of that uh, company publicly and so even though they're not SEC employees obviously I'm talking about these coaches obviously they're not SEC employees but they still represent the conference and they still obviously are thought of when thinking of conferences so i think it's about you know it's obviously pr but it's also just about standard practice of not you know disparaging not you know you know trying to throw people under the bus when they do kind of have a a shared stake in what you're doing 
Okay, uh, we'll move on. I just always thought they'd never been held really accountable uh, in terms of officiating. But moving on, guys, uh, about uh, Coach Breeze's uh, appearance today, uh, I was uh, struck by his lack of comment when asked by several reporters, I guess, about the uh, status of Jaquez Hunter and his comeback response was, uh, I can't comment on administrative procedures and policies. Uh, I would have hoped at least that the least at the least would have said something like the Alabama basketball coach said, you know, he's at the wrong time, wrong place. Well, certainly didn't, didn't want him to there. say that. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I, I obviously, yes, it's a little disappointing because if there was nothing going on, he would have been able to say, oh, yeah, no, he's good to go and that sort of thing. But obviously there is some sort of university review going on. And, again, we speculated. I don't know. I mean, it, it's a shot in the dark that we feel decent that it's, you know, not going to be, you know, kicking off the team or anything like that, anything egregious, because it feels like that would have happened almost instantly. Uh, but, you know, obviously there's still something in play at the university level, and if that is if it is first a university decision, which technically it should be, uh, then, you know, you, you've got to let that process play out too. And so, uh, you know, it still could potentially be serious. We, we really don't know. But, yes, I agree that it was – disappointing not to hear more but you know if it's a university process and university deal then you've got to let that run its course first yeah you know ryan you guys are doing an excellent job of asking questions uh it just seems to be kind of you know this has been a lengthy process this happened in may and it's taken them yet this long to come out with any kind of a statement that's what i thought to see extraordinarily lengthy process but uh we can't do anything about it all right uh moving on guys uh, did you happen to uh, hear or read or find out about the uh, three-word response uh, from uh, Coach Kirby Smart when asked by some reporters, apparently, uh, who criticized you, apparently, Georgia's uh, uh, easy schedule? You know what he said, right? I, I saw this actually earlier today, and, and his response was, come play it, which I, come play it. I, I, I know, I know it. where you're okay. going, Steve. I know where you're going with this. But let me just say, there is not an easy schedule in the SEC. Yes, there are other SEC teams that have easy, that have much tougher schedules than what Georgia is going to go through. But I will say that there is no easy schedule in the SEC. They still got to play Florida. They still got to play Tennessee. Uh, you know, it's he's not saying that he has the hardest schedule in the conference. He's not saying there are no tougher schedules. He's just saying we've got a pretty tough schedule. You know, r- regardless. Okay, good try. Is it Brent? Yes, sir, it is. Okay, Brent, good, good try, Brent. My response, if I were in uh, charge of the Auburn uh, football program, is to be, okay, you don't want that, George, uh, Kirby? How about come play Auburn's schedule this year? Oh, Auburn we would much rather play Georgia's five. schedule than Auburn's. We are ranked number five in terms of uh, toughest schedule in the entire country. You're not even in the top ten, and you're going to say come play it? Uh, do you sure, have to play then... Alabama? No. Just play LSU? I don't think so. Um, let me go down the, the list here and on and on. Uh, sure, the question, though, was not directly comparing Auburn and Georgia's schedule. The, the question is about comparing it to the rest of the country, and I promise you, you what he's referring to is you give a middle-of-the-road Big Ten team or Pac-12 team this schedule. They're not going to do – they're not going to go 12-0 with it. They're not going to go 10-2 with it. They're, they're not going to have – a fun time with it. What makes it seem so much easier is one, they don't play themselves, which is always an argument used for the top teams. But two, it's like Georgia is an excellent football team, 
they're going to handle these seven and eight win type of teams much easier than other seven and eight win type of teams. So there's no disputing compared to some other SEC schools. They absolutely don't have as tough of a schedule as some of these other SEC schools, but still comparatively to the country, it's still going to rank fairly high because, again, the SEC is such a great league. Playing the fifth and sixth and seventh best teams and fourth best teams in the SEC is far different than playing four through seven in the Pac-12 or in the ACC or something like that. All right. Uh, I don't want to believe it, just, but if you're going to accept that come play, then um, how would you, why don't you play uh, Ole Miss' schedule? According to ESPN's computers, there's the number it is one a league-rotated schedule. It is a league-rotated schedule. Georgia's not in control of what they play in the SEC. I understand that. You and I know that. I would say, though, historically, Auburn is always in the top five if not top three of toughest schedules played every year. Uh, not, not Mr. Kirby Smart since he's been there. But anyway, well, uh, we'll again, Steve, you're you're making comparisons that were not being made by Kirby Smart. You're looking at it through a different lens. Okay, I and that's okay. That's your right to do. I thought it was just disingenuous to say come play it. Okay, yeah, I'd love to play okay. his schedule this year. Again, I'd love Steve, to play I mean, his schedule. it's. Sure, and again, we're saying that compared to the SEC, sure, it is definitely not one of the toughest SEC t- uh, schedules. But again, he was asked in the context of this entire country. And again, I promise you, there's like 80 or 90 other schedules that are going to be weaker than Georgia's when you look at it in the entire country, when you look at the, the, the talent and the quality of this league going all the way down through the middle teams in this league. Like we said, again, the middle of this league is as good or better than any other middle of any other league. And so even though they are not playing Alabama and even though they were not playing LSU and they can't play themselves, again, it, it, these other teams that are going to be playing the 5th, 6th, and 8th, and ninth and 10th best teams in the ACC or the Big 12 or whatever, that's not going to end up being as, even as difficult as Georgia's because of the, the strength of the SEC. All right, fine. Let's keep going, guys. How about on the good side? Uh, we are one of four teams that are apparently in the hunt for a five-star center by the name of Flory Badunga. Is that right? Correct. Five-star guy. This is the center that a lot of people thought Auburn was targeting once they let go of Peyton Marshall's commitment. Well, I can't remember when we were in competition with someone of that caliber along with who? Duke, Kansas, and Michigan. Kansas, yep. Yeah, no, certainly um, it would be – uh, a, a huge recruit, and Auburn has continued to break new basketball recruiting records, uh, program records with Bruce Pearl. All right. Uh, moving on, guys. Uh, I don't know how much you watch Stephen A. Smith's uh, podcast or first takes. you watching it, everybody? Uh, from time to time, but not religiously. Uh, you remember Mr. Uh, Le- Lepitar, his show? Yes. Dan Lepitar? Well, apparently he didn't take kindly to uh, – Stephen A. Smith's defense of ESPN. Did you uh, read about his comments, what he said? I did not hear that part of it, no. Well, it actually refers to, I, I guess, you know, what, what some of you guys, uh, you know, your sports wives, sports journalists. He said to Stephen A. Smith, he said, we're longtime friends. He said, I don't like what he's done, referring to Stephen A. Smith with sports television. He quotes, I think he's helped it make it dumber. What do you guys say okay. uh, about that commentary? I mean, I think that sometimes on, on the ESPN, you know, they have uh, some hot take guys. I don't know if Stephen A. Smith is really one of those guys anymore. I mean, everyone has some hot takes, but certainly there are people at the network, as there are with Fox. I'd say Fox is even 
is worse than ESPN with it, with with people just trying to generate headlines. And, and Dan Labatard has never liked ESPN. From the moment he, he left there, he has ragged on it, and uh, he certainly does not feel very strongly about it in a positive way. So, look, again, uh, this is all on the heels of the, of the layoffs and that sort of thing, and there's a lot of people wondering about all that. But, uh, you know, I think that the, the hot take part of it or, or trying to engage in, Again, dumb down behaviors, that sort of thing. That that happens. That happens with with Fox even more so. I would say. Hi, uh, in the PGA world, guys. Uh, uh, Last thing for comment. Steve, we got to let you go. Sure. Uh, uh, do you know about this? Uh, well, I mean, pretty uh, John Rain. Uh, his comments about the PGA and the live people. Don't think I've seen those. Yeah, he says that. Uh, I do believe that some punishment, this is his quote, should be in order, but I don't know what. Talking about the uh, people who left PGA to and went to live. And then he said, uh, we're going to say this, from what I hear, they don't really want to come back to PGA Tour. I said, wow, that's interesting uh, that uh, he's heard that they, some of these live, want to live players who form PGA people don't want to return. Uh, you guys make it, is this going to continue to be friction among these players? I think that obviously the both sides of it, I don't know uh, how fond of each other they are. I know there's been some mending of relationships in the last few weeks with with some of the live guys, some of the PGA Tour guys, but obviously there's a lack of trust from the live perspective. These PGA Tour guys that already declined them once are still not magically going to think what they do is, is incredibly moral. And then from the live point of view, I, I think that uh, those guys – feel like the PGA Tour guys kind of uh, were, were too harsh with them and that sort of thing and I ended up having the men relationships. So I, I think there will still be certain cases, certain individual cases that can linger and, and of guys not wanting to play on the other tour and that sort of thing. But uh, it, 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 will, it, will still, it will not be a majority. It will not be an overwhelming amount of people. All right. Thank you, guys. Always love your show, love your comments. I look forward to listening to the podcast to our players who uh, – I spoke today at the uh, SC Media Days, and I know there's a game on for you guys. There's a doubleheader or just one game? Absolutely, yeah. Unfortunately, we, yeah. unfortunately, obviously, we can't play in it, but we Fine. got uh, J.J. and the crew back at home going to play in it. Okay, well, good luck to them, and uh, we'll talk to you in tomorrow. And I would like to touch on tomorrow about the new rule changes because I'm not really happy about these uh, untimed now, uh, or I mean time to first down. It looks like we're going – It'll be a, a smaller version of the NFL. So with that said, guys, thank you for your time. I know my time is way up. Have a safe afternoon and evening. Enjoy your time there. And keep eating well, Brooks. So until tomorrow, War Eagle, guys. Uh, War Eagle, Steve, appreciate that phone call. Yeah, we will uh, continue to keep eating well, that is for sure. We're going to take our first time out here of our number two. On the other side of this break, Cam Stutz. We chatted with him a little bit earlier. We're going to start our parade of Auburn interviews with Cam Stutz coming up right after this. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Tiger Weather, brought to you by Auburn University Credit Union. 
Now's the time to save with Auburn University Credit Union's CD Special. Get 4.75% APR for 13 months. That's 4.75% APR for 13 months. Annual percentage rate. Federally insured by NCUA. Limited time offer. Highs on Tuesday will reach the mid-90s around 94 and 95. Mostly sunny throughout the day. Very few, if any, spots should see an isolated shower or storm a less than 10% coverage area. Lows drop into the low 70s overnight around 72 or 73 degrees. Wednesday, much of the same. We'll see those highs right around 95 degrees. Again, heat index will be over 100 degrees. Can't rule out an isolated shower or storm, but again, very few and far between with only about a 10 or 15% coverage area. Lows once again drop into the low to mid 70s. I'm Ryan LaVoy for your Tiger Communications weather update. Hi, welcome to Lifesavers Mission Thrift. Ah! Greetings, human. We are from the planet Mars. Word. Wow, but what are you doing here? We've observed that you wish to land on our planet. Yes, and so we must be prepared with new clothes and furniture, and we don't have much money. Yeah, we're students. Well, you've come to the right place. Mission Thrift has all kinds of clothes, furniture, gifts, all at the lowest prices you'll find. Excellent. And the best part is, all proceeds go toward helping underprivileged children of our community. Terrific. We will begin purchasing immediately. Z-Pop, begin rummaging through those polyester pants. Lifesavers Mission Thrift Store on East University Drive in Auburn behind Zaxby's. When it comes to great coffee in Auburn, make sure you don't go against the family. Coffee Mafia is serving up Italian-inspired espresso right here in Auburn. From espresso drinks to cold brew and even tasty baked goods and sandwiches, Coffee Mafia has an offer that you just can't refuse. Open seven days a week from 7 a.m. until 5 p.m., Coffee Mafia is the perfect place for your morning start and afternoon pick-me-up or a cozy spot to meet up. Order delivery online at auburncoffeemafia.com or stop by 414 South A Street in Auburn. Coffee Mafia, where good coffee is easy to come by. Are you ready to express your individuality? Look no further than Against All Odds, Tattoo and Piercing in Auburn. Our award-winning team of artists are here to bring your vision to life. From intricate designs to bold statements, we specialize in creating unique and personalized tattoos that capture your essence. At Against All Odds, we prioritize your safety and satisfaction. Our state-of-the-art studio follows strict hygiene protocols, ensuring a clean and comfortable environment for your tattoo experience. Visit Against All Odds, Tattoo and Piercing today at 1456 Opelika Road in Auburn. Open seven days a week. Hi, I'm Darren with Master Graphics and Light and Screen Printing. At Master Graphics, we can help you take your event or company promotion to the next level with custom apparel screen printed right here in Auburn. We have a huge selection of brands like Comfort Colors, Gildan, and Bella Canvas. And at Master Graphics, you work with our in-house artists to bring your vision to life. Let our team help make your business, school event, or family gathering a success with custom apparel from Master Graphics. Stop by and see us today at 175 South Gay Street or give us a call at 887-8755. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger Here on Radio Row, 2023 SEC Media Days. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Tom Peavy with me. And now we're pleased to be joined by Auburn offensive lineman Cam Sutz. Cam, uh, excited for you to be here. Yes, What's it been like for you so far here at Media Days? Uh, it's been 
a lot. It's a lot of cameras and stuff going on. I'm, I'm just honored that my teammates and coaches selected me and, and felt that I was the person they wanted to represent them. So it's just an honor to be here. A lot of new things at Auburn right now, new coaches, a lot of players coming in via the portal, via high school. But you're one of the senior leaders of the team, and, and we know that you got three seniors here today for Auburn. What did it mean to get selected by Coach Trees to be here in Nashville? Uh, it means a lot. It's been a long road coming, and, um, I mean, I've had great people around me helping me all the way there. So um, just, just to top it off like this, my final year being able to come here and, and show, uh, just represent the Auburn, Auburn family, it's just a big honor. Uh, Cam, a lot was made when Brian Harson came into the program about uh, the difference in the running scheme, zone blocking versus man blocking. Uh, and now Coach Hugh Freeze is coming in. He's kind of leaned on that zone blocking scheme more in his past. Which of those two do you prefer, and do you think he's going to mix it up a little bit this year? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I see us doing a little bit of everything. Like I said, I told them, uh, whenever you're a six-year, you start to learn that football is football, and a lot of times a lot of that stuff is, is just the, the small things. But I think at the end of the day, uh, we're, we're just going to run the ball. We're at Auburn, so that's going to be a, one of our main points of emphasis every time. So now, now you said that you know football is football. Have you noticed? Has there been a change? Now I don't want to. I don't want you to throw anybody under the bus. We're not doing that. But have you felt there's been a change in, in like the routine, the workouts, and different things like that from coach to coach? Yeah, there's a lot of new going on. We've got a new facility, lots of new players, new coaches. So um, there's there's definitely been some changes, but. Um, I think uh, everybody's doing a really good job of, of adapting to it and, and coming together and, and building that chemistry, so it's, it's been really good. One of the first things that Hugh Freeze did uh, when he came into the program was kind of rebuild the offensive line room. You've got a new bunch of new faces in there this year, but you're one of the holdovers from the previous staff. What has it been like getting to know those new guys, and how are they fitting in? They're doing a really good job. Uh, all those dudes up front, all the new guys are, are doing a really good job of building chemistry, working hard. We, don't, we haven't had any issues just, just going out there and grinding every day and trying to get 1% better and taking advantage of each opportunity we get. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. And uh, we're just going to continue to build and, and get close and know each other. You mentioned that new facility, uh, you being a six-year guy. How excited are you that it did line up just in time yeah. for you to be able to take advantage of some of that new cool stuff? We were getting a little worried there. I know with all the COVID stuff that had been going on, there's still supply chain issues and stuff like that. But uh, we got they got it all straightened out, and the, thankful for the people who, who all worked on that and uh, got it done. So it's it's really nice. It's a it's something else to see. I know every other day it seems like there's somebody in there checking it out, but it's it's really nice. I know you played someone on both sides of the line. Uh, are, are there really key intricacies to playing on either one side versus the other? Is there a side that you prefer or feel more comfortable at? I, I'm definitely an offensive guy. I've played a little defense in my in my career, but definitely an offensive guy. I think the mentality that comes with it, we're not the, the show guys a lot of times. We don't get a lot of recognition, but uh, showing up and just going out there and working for our teammates is what we're all about. So, what, What's the difference in, because we know that there's going to be a quarterback battle, we know that uh, the two guys that are going to be battling for it are two very different guys, more of a mm -hmm. pocket guy like Peyton Thorne and then Robbie Asher who can make a lot of plays with his legs. What can be kind of the difference is for you as an offensive lineman blocking for someone that might be extending the play for a, a long period of time even mm -hmm. running uh, versus a guy that's trying to hang in the pocket for as long as possible and make throws down the field? Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think we got three guys back there that are all really good and, and doing a really good job stepping up. They all had a really good spring. Uh, minus Peyton, of course, but I think he's going to do a really good job in the, in the fall. Um, but, yeah, sometimes that can uh, be a little complicated whenever you've got dudes rushing like that. But I think, again, building that chemistry and getting to know whenever you, you, you'll start to feel whenever he's rushing out and you'll feel the defender so you can start to uh, adapt to that and, and get used to it. All right, man, so on a lighter side of things, let's talk about the suit game. Got you. 
What, what you got for us? Uh, shout out to Blue Project Threads. They got us right. Uh, we went through a lot to get these suits here last night. He had uh, he had to fly over and get them to us, and uh, I just really appreciate them and doing all they did to get them to us and Tom. Um, now, did you get to choose that? So you, yeah, you went yeah. Light I picked gray. out the suit. We got the oh, oh, oh that's nice. nice. Inside. <laughs> got some Avi inside. I think my name's in here somewhere. So yeah, it's it's really nice. I carry you, man. That's looking great, man. Well, we'll finish up with this. So your last season here in the Plains, uh, you got Georgia at home. You got all, you got Alabama at home. Of course, that would be senior day at the end. Yep. Uh, just talk about what you look forward to in this last season, what you hope to accomplish both personally and as a team. Uh, I, I just want to go out there and, and just take advantage of each opportunity we get. Um, right now, our, our opportunity in front of us is, is the summer and finishing up the summer going into camp, and then we'll take it one game at a time. and and just do the best we can. I just I just want to help my teammates and, and the coaches and everybody else just be as successful as we can. That's that's all I'm focused on. Cam Stutz, Auburn offensive lineman, joining us on Sports Call Day. Cam, time's greatly appreciated. We hope the rest of the day goes well for you, and we look forward to watching you out there this season. Yes, sir. War Eagle. That's Cam Stutz joining us on Sports Call. As you just heard right there, Cam Stutz, Auburn offensive lineman, joined us earlier today. we got a couple more players uh, that we were able to interview. We'll play those a little bit later. But with this offensive line, again, a lot of changes, whole new makeover, uh, a lot of different guys. Cam Stutz, one of the few holdovers from that line that did play uh, multiple positions last year. Uh, but good hearing from Cam right there. Again, the theme with all these guys you're going to hear about is seniors. And we talk about that pre-media days in terms of, okay, getting experience, out there to the media, getting opportunity for the reward guys and that sort of thing. But now, as we got two media days, something where we talk to all these guys is, all right, well, this is it. I mean, th this is your last year. Some of these guys have spent five years already in college. It's been a long period of time when you factor in red shirts in the COVID year, and Cam Stutz is one of those guys. And so it's really just um, a culmination of a, a lot of work and a, a long career here in college for some of these guys. And and Cam Sutz is, uh, is different. Yeah, well, and I, I, I like to hear the positivity from, from Cam on that. The offensive line for the last several years has been a unit that has everybody has just crapped all over about how terrible they are. There's reason for that. A lot of that has to do with the lack of recruiting along there. But to hear positivity coming from an offensive lineman to say that things are shaping up, the guys around them are playing good, uh, just the, the attitude, the positivity and everything just seems to kind of be fitting in place. It sounds great, like I said, for a unit that has just really caught so much hate from so many people. I, I, I'm so happy to hear that positivity. And we all know you have to have that good offensive line play. Cause I, I don't care how good your running backs are. I don't care how good your quarterbacks are. If you don't have people that can block for them, then you are dead in the water. And so that positivity bringing in some new guys, having some veteran leadership like Cam Stutz up there, uh, it, it makes you at least gives you a little bit of a better feeling about that unit as you start moving forward. It's also a kind of a touchy thing uh, because he's we didn't really uh, catch on or put on to this part of it, but with all the new guys, new competitions uh, well. for guys like Cam Stutz who – who obviously did play last year, but I think that we would tell you just about every offensive line position is up for grabs with so much turnover and so many new players brought in there that, look, it is obviously at some point it, it speaks to the whole the whole transfer portal process. They needed numbers. They needed a quantity. Well, now we figure out what kind of quality they have, and that's determined in these August battles with 
with Stutz and all these kids and then get into the season and see how it all uh, how it all meshes together. But, but again, some of these guys that we were talking to, too, you know, they've got their own battles to kind of fight through on the depth chart. Yeah, and honestly, when all the the influx of transfers happened in that offensive line, I expected Cam Stutz to be one of the guys that got left behind. I, I, I 100% thought that he was not going to start for Auburn this year, and he very, he very well may not, but the fact that he's here shows that he's sticking around a little bit better than I thought he would. And just talking to him, I, I you heard the question I asked him about uh, what, were the, what was it like having all those new guys in there, and he said, yeah, look, competition's a good thing competition's healthy competition makes you better so they're out there pushing each other they're not uh they're not just going at each other's throats they're going out there and they're trying their best they're working hard and uh, they're trying to get better and competition is making them better the chemistry is there with that unit and I, I think this is going to be the best Auburn offensive line we've seen since maybe 2017 I, I don't know if they'll be that good but it, it will be the best we've seen in quite a while it's it's really nice to hear the positivity and it, especially like you guys said coming out of, out of a unit that has been you know one of the one of the uh, weaker sides or weaker parts of the of the team of the last few years uh, but you know it's it's still and uh, you know I, I, I like your optimism uh, Brent, but it's still a work in progress we don't oh, know absolutely. what these guys are gonna look like and once we get out there we don't know if they're gonna all gel together they it, it was just it was the the biggest need what uh, were the two biggest needs coming into this season for Auburn football that Hugh Freeze saw was the wide receiver room and the offensive line room and he went out and he tackled both of those and he, he's got got guys in here to compete for jobs and it will, you know, once you, you set the ball down on uh, uh, that first game against UMass, we're going to see what they look like. Uh, the biggest test is going to be, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, probably against Texas A&M, that first conference game. Uh, you, you'll probably get a little bit test against Cal, but the biggest test is going to be that Texas A&M game. But it, it's really nice, you know, coming in all, your first off season or your first, se- yeah, first off season with Hugh Freeze going into his first season that there's so much positivity in that offensive line room right now. So we just had an interview with Cam Stutz. Again, if you miss any of these interviews, they're going to be on our podcast feed, the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. A lot of ways to listen to that, uh, again, including our Tiger Communications app, but also Spotify, Google Play, all that good stuff. Uh, so check out the Sports Call podcast if you miss any of these interviews. We're going to go to our next timeout of hour number two. When we come back, We got to chat with all three. Coming up next, Luke Deal will join us on the show. Again, another pre-recorded interview. You're listening to this Tuesday edition of Sports Call live from Radio Row, Tiger 95.9. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
back to SEC Media Days 2023 on Radio Row here in Nashville, Tennessee. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontry, Tom Peavy with you here today. And now we're pleased to be joined by Auburn tight end Luke Deal. Luke, the time is greatly appreciated. How is this uh, SEC Media Days experience for you so far? This is incredible. Uh, I'm honored and blessed to be here. And uh, just seeing all of this for the first time is, is pretty surreal. So I'm excited to, to, to get going with you guys and, and see what the rest of the day has in store. We know that there's a lot of new at Auburn this year, but you are one of the constants, you being a, a senior leader. What did it mean to you to uh, get the notification from Coach Threes that you'd be one of the representatives of Auburn here at Media Days? Yeah, this is one of those things that you can't really even put into words. Um, just to be selected as, as a leader of this university and of this football team is something that you dream of but you don't think about during all the grind and uh, the team runs, the lifts, and everything like that. Uh, but I'm so excited. It, it kind of just hit me whenever I was on the plane ride here how special this really is and uh, so excited to represent Auburn. Luke, uh, Hugh Freeze has a history of moving his tight ends around. We saw you play a little bit of fullback last year as well as inline tight end. Uh, where, are, where do you expect to be used the most, whether on the end of the line, in the backfield, or split out wide? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've made my money, uh, figuratively speaking, I've made my money in line most of the time my, my career here. Uh, and I love doing the dirty work, but with also saying that, I like I like being versatile. Uh, so hopefully, like you said, with his reputation, we're going to be all over the place and and just be a really versatile offense in general. You know, just uh, keep the defense on their toes. And I like I like playing the fullback spot. I like being in line and I like being split out. So I guess that's why I'm I'm, I'm a tight end and not a receiver, or offensive lineman. Uh, so uh, not throwing anybody under the bus here from last, but talk about some changes that have happened this year. Workouts, scheduling, I mean, how, how are things different with this new coaching staff than the last? Yeah, I think we're just really, really living in the moment. Uh, each workout, each day, each run, each meeting, each uh, walkthrough, each practice, everything is really set in the moment. Uh, working on the process each and every day and, and not looking forward or like, not looking behind, which I greatly appreciate. One other thing I was going to ask, whenever uh, you got these recruits coming in, you got the young guys coming in and older guys like you, you have a chance to try to convince some of these guys that this is Auburn, this is where you want to be. How difficult has that been trying to convince some of these younger guys that Auburn has not gone away, that things are good at Auburn? Well, I think Coach Freeze, to start off, is a really good recruiter. Uh, I think the uh, recruits will choose a place where they trust the coaching staff and they trust the players. Uh, so my job as a, as a leader on this football team is to have them trust me and, and then they'll trust Auburn. They'll trust our university. They'll trust our, our football program. So uh, there's so much history at Auburn. People don't realize it. Some of the people in Auburn don't really realize it, but there's so much history. There's so much prestigious uh, just history of Auburn uh, that people are attracted to, and the people of Auburn, people are attracted to. So um, just instilling that winning culture in our young guys and teaching them the ropes and things that I've learned over the past four years um, that's been a big deal because because if you love Auburn, Auburn will obviously love you back, and that's a big saying for everybody around here. We saw last year when uh, when Coach Cadillac took over for the, the rest of the season, the win against Texas A&M, it felt from the outside like a religious experience oh, yeah. almost. What, what was that like for you and the team uh, and the emotions that were felt inside that stadium? Man, I still get chills whenever I watch that game or think about that game. It was uh, – Something that you don't get anywhere else in college football, and I can firmly say that. Uh, if you do, it's it's very few places. So 
uh, just to have a, a university and a fan base rally around you at your lowest point, um, it really it, it gave us momentum. It gave us heart. It gave us hope. Uh, and we're going to carry that into this year. We sure are. I mean, we, we are definitely looking forward, looking ahead, and we have a new staff and new everything. But we're, st- we're still going to lean on some of the highs of last year, which that was definitely one of them. You've got a lot of new teammates, both the wide receivers. you got uh, someone like Valder Fairweather as a tight end. And then you got a new quarterback to work with, too, with Peyton Thorne. I know you're still working out with the other guys, too, with Robbie Ashford and company. But what has that process been like working with some of the new teammates that share your position, but then also with, with someone else there in the backfield? Yeah, the biggest thing for me has just been building trust with those guys. I mean, you can rep it over and over again, and, and that definitely helps. And we've, we've done that. Uh, but building trust outside of that, getting to know the players, getting to know their background, getting to know their why. Why are they here? Why do they do what they do? That's a big deal, and that's something that I think uh, relationship building is something that's very overrated. Uh, underrated, I should say, not overrated. Um, but, yeah, that, that's been the main thing, just getting to know your players, get to know them personally and not just as a number. So uh, Peyton coming in, all the new transfers. Elijah's like one of my best friends, and he's here today. Uh, transfer guy coming in so i've uh, gotten to know a lot of these guys and that's been a big deal for us you touched on it a bit earlier you've made your hay kind of as an inline tight end you've you've been used a lot as a blocker and you're a really effective blocker too i, I love i love watching i'm a former offensive lineman well, thank you. Uh, but, uh, do you expect to be used more in the passing game than you have in the past we saw it a little bit in the first year under brian harson he used his tight ends a little bit more last year that kind of went away now you're with a guy who expects to use tight ends more so. So do you think you'll be used more in the passing game than you have been in the past? Absolutely. Yeah, like like you said, um, you knew that Coach Harson started bringing the tight ends in the passing game more. Uh, Coach Freeze, we all know his resume with tight ends. Uh, so I'm absolutely expecting for our whole tight end room to be utilized more. And uh, our mentality as a tight end room is to do whatever it takes to win. We're, we are the SEAL team. We go in, we get the job done, and we come out with a win. That, that's that's our mentality, and if that means being versatile and going all over the place, we love that. Oh, well, we love to hear the uh, the SEAL team, and we love the mentality there. Well, Luke, let's finish off with this. You being a senior this year, got some big home games, including the Georgia and Alabama games. So we know senior day will be uh, that Iron Bowl again, which is always oh, yeah. a big deal. But what are some goals for you personally and as a team this year as you embark on this senior season? Yeah, like I said before, as a team, we haven't really put numbers together uh, in in terms of goals but the biggest thing is just being present being here and and being the best version of yourself the best version of ourselves and looking forward and ahead is not going to get us any better uh working harder than anybody else in the country today is and that's something that i think we are going to build upon this year as a team me personally i want to be the best leader teammate and friend that i can be i know it sounds pretty cliche but there's nothing more important than how your teammates view you in college football. Um, and, and I want to be a guy that people can lean on. I want to be a guy that can lead our team out of a foxhole if we need to. So that that's going to be my goal is to build that trust in everybody, get to know everybody, and be uh, one of the main leaders on this football team. Luke, we certainly appreciate the time today. We hope you have a great rest of your day here in Nashville. We look forward to watching you out there this year. Thank you, War Eagle. War Eagle, that is Luke Deal joining us today on Sports Call. Again, another pre-recorded interview with another one of the fine Auburn football players, Luke Deal, 
Uh, again, uh, we were fortunate enough to get all three Auburn football players that visited. Coming up in hour number three, we'll get to Elijah McAllister's interview, but talking with Luke Deal a little bit right there. Get another guy that's uh, spent some serious time in college, another part of one of those, you know, Good classes where Auburn continued to get really solid tight end recruits for a long time. Now they've got another solid transfer in Rivaldo Fairweather coming in there uh, who, who could play multiple places. But, uh, again, love the mentality that Luke had there again at the end. And uh, he, he's, again, willing to play kind of whatever part that he, he needs to play. Yeah, and he always has been. That's the thing. I mean, he's been at Auburn for four years. He's caught – one touchdown, I think, maybe maybe two or three, but he, he hasn't ever been a super pass-heavy tight end. That's why I asked that question at the end because, you know, you, you come to Auburn and you're going to play tight end. Well, what does that mean? For Luke, it's, been, it's meant a lot of the time he's been a sixth offensive lineman. And, and like I said to him, he's darn good at it. And that's why he's been. That's why he's done it so much. But at some point you want to catch passes, right, if you have the ability to do so. So Luke is going to come in this year with a coach that, you know, we talked about it. His history with tight ends is that he loves to use them. He loves leaning on those guys. He makes superstars out of the right ones. So uh, I think we're going to see Luke deal playing all over the field a little bit because he, he has the ability to play all those different spots. I think he's a better pass catcher than he's had the ability to show so far. So I think that, uh, you know, playing all over the field is going to be something that he really takes advantage of. Yeah, and, you know, what What you're really looking at with, with Luke Deal and why he's here at SEC Media Days is he's a good off-the-field leader. Uh, you know, Jason Caldwell talked to us yesterday on the program and was like, none of these guys, you don't think, you know, are, are going to be all SEC guys. You're not going to be, you know, the top of the, the, the top of the conference. There's There could be potential there, but, you know, it, it's at, right now on the, on the surface level, you, you don't expect them to be. And Luke Deal is one of those guys that got brought here because he's a really good team leader, and you could tell that by the conversation that you had with him. Because it's it's like uh, you know, Brant, you you kind of alluded to it. The the tight end position has kind of been a, a mystery position these last few years at Auburn. Are, are you blocking? Are you going to actually catch some passes? Are you even going to see the field? Uh, and, and so. For him to come here, put in you know, put in the work, stick around at Auburn, and and become one of those off the field leaders that that uh, uh, Hugh Freeze trusts enough to bring to SEC Media Days and put in front of the the national media and the the, the SEC media, uh, it speaks a lot about about uh, how he how he is in the locker room. Again, the the angle you could say as well, you know, well. Love to have the biggest players possible at media days and that sort of thing. To get the guys that throw all the touchdowns, you know, rush all the touchdowns, make all the tackles, etc. But uh, what we see is what is valued by really all these programs is is leadership, and that's something that is a constant theme with these coaches uh, in the uh, in the main media areas and uh, when they're talking about the guys that they brought. And again, you know, Auburn opting to. Get three of the more experienced college football players that, that you can have, and we'll talk about that a little bit with Elijah McAllister in, in, in just a little bit. I, I want to hit on real quickly because uh, we'll start to run out of time in hour number three what we got playing with two pre-recorded interviews. Again, one more Hugh Freeze topic from the main media area earlier today. Talked a little bit about the play calling, talked a little bit about the structure, that sort of thing quarterback situation because that's something that obviously is going to affect offensive lineman Cam Stutz and tight end Luke Deal. When asked about quarterbacks in the main media area, and he might have had something even more descriptive in another area, he talked about 
getting together with Philip Montgomery and his coaching staff and developing a 10-day plan with three guys. So, again, three-guy race. They have been talking about Holden Gurner still uh, in the race, then cut it down to two. So for 10 days, uh, you know, I would project, unless something shocking happens, Holden Gurner will still be in the, in the race. But unless he has a terrific 10 days, then it will get cut down to two, uh, and that's when it would be Robbie Ashford versus uh, Peyton Thorne. Uh, the also the the part of it too that uh, you know we would have loved to ask someone like Coach Freeze is you know is there a situation where you you play both anyway because you you do the the, the package stuff for Robbie Ashford that's something that we always banter about it seems like it's becoming I don't know more of a commonplace item it, it doesn't fit every school in every situation but it's certainly continually come up and there's not really been a uh, a telltale no you got can't do this you got to get away from that. There's been a lot of room for that with various programs. Do you believe that will ultimately be the route that will go after we go through this this 10-day process and that sort of thing? Do you think they'll they'll end up playing Astrid a little bit anyway, even if it's not in any sort of uh, passing capacity? You know, watching Robbie last year, I had the thought of, I don't know if this kid's good enough to be a national championship-level quarterback or even a quarterback that can get you to nine or ten wins but he's such a good athlete you can't keep him off the field he is too good with the ball in his hands to not let him do something now I, I always thought the best path for him would be to transition to receiver I don't know if he can catch or not but it, that seems to be what kind of fits his skill set the best if he wants to play quarterback you say well okay you can play quarterback but maybe not the starter because again like I, I just don't think his passing is there consistently enough but I like I said, with the ball in his hands, he is such a weapon. He is so good uh, at, at running the football from that spot that you absolutely have to think uh, he's going to have something to do this season. Again, that will be a fascinating battle to watch ultimately at the end of the day between Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford. Again, everyone careful to talk about it. It's still a race. We still have our opinions on how much Peyton Thorne might lead it by. But, again, they'll have fall practice. They'll have that practice plan that Hugh Freeze alluded to and then we'll find out after that. We are out of time for hour number two, but a lot more sports call ahead in hour number three. Brand Daughtry's going to hop off. Cam Berry's going to hop on. We're going to talk to Elijah McAllister at the top of the hour. Again, the third of three Auburn players that we've got to visit with here at SEC Media Days. And coming up a little bit later, Zach Blackerby, the host of Locked On Auburn. So that and more is ahead next after this timeout. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started.
Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Again, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here. Cam Berry will join us here in just a second as uh, we get set for another interview. Interview Pre-recorded interview again, this time with Elijah McAllister, linebacker uh, for Auburn University. Of course, uh, Elijah transferring from Vanderbilt, so in his home state here, uh, or I guess the, the state that he uh, reigned in Vanderbilt as a as a multi-year starter for the Commodores and captain. Uh, so we're going to play this Elijah McAllister interview, have a few thoughts on the other side of this break. Again, still to come, uh, Zach Blackerby locked on Auburn coming up as well. But here's our interview from earlier with Elijah McAllister. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here. And now we're pleased to be joined by Auburn linebacker Elijah McAllister here at SEC Media Days 2023. Elijah, the time's greatly appreciated. Uh, this is a place that you're very familiar with, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, how has it been so far to be representing Auburn here at Media Days? Uh, like I tell people all the time, man, it's a, a blessing to be able to be here representing not only my coaches uh, but my teammates in the university. I've spent a lot of time here in Nashville and continuing to learn about myself as a young man on and off the field. I'm here representing the Auburn family in War Eagle. War Eagle, indeed. Now, well, we've asked the other guys this, but especially for you as somebody that just transferred in, what does it mean to be selected by Coach Freeze as a representative of Auburn here at Media Day? I'm humbled by the opportunity. It's honestly just a blessing to be able to represent all aspects of the university. And my, like I said, my coaches and my teammates, I'm just super excited to be able to have this opportunity to, to be on the stage and continue to represent them in the best way I know possible. And um, speaking about, you know, being your first year here at Auburn, um, what sold, what, how did you three kind of sell you on the program, get you to come here for your final year uh, as a collegiate athlete? I think that's what makes it unique about Coach Freeze. He didn't sell me anything. I think it starts with the, the foundation of our relationship, which comes uh, from us serving the same Lord and Jesus Christ. And I think also the opportunity to play, the opportunity to lead. Those are three things that really wouldn't say sell but allow me to feel comfortable with committing to Auburn and he's been true to that and held true to that every single step of the way and that's what makes him unique. So once you got to Auburn I mean how quickly did it how quickly did you fall in love with the town the campus the people? I think I fell in love with it you know before I even committed or before I even got on campus I think you know when I heard coach Jeremy Gary recruiting me and heard and talked to coach Freeze and hearing how Auburn was and I knew about tradition you know watching Cam Newton as a middle schooler, you know, so I always knew about Auburn and just I fell in love with it probably beforehand, but it's been amazing to be able to get acclimated to a place like Auburn. As you've started to uh, learn some of your teammates, a lot of new guys coming in with you too, over 20 transfer portal guys and all the high school guys, that sort of thing. What's it been like starting to try and uh, gel in some of these workouts and spring ball and that sort of thing? It's been beautiful to see. I'm just so amazed and excited about how far we've come from January to as we see here today in July. And I think as we continue to grow, uh, on and off the field to continue to become a more cohesive unit, that allows us to become better from July and August, September. And I'm excited to, what, to see what the product that we put out there on the field. And again, I know that there is so many new faces, especially in the front seven. Uh, we know that some of those guys in the back have been at Auburn contributing for a while. But we know there's some struggles with, with kind of both sides of the ball last year, honestly. Uh, and so part of that was the front seven. So what kind of goals have you guys preached with trying to sure up a certain thing? Or just what are some expectations and goals is trying to improve upon uh, from last year and get everything together in the front seven? Yeah, I think it comes down to two things. It comes down to our process. It comes down to our opportunities. So anytime we can trust our process, which, you know, we continue to get better every single day, we're going to end up elevating by, as a byproduct of that. And then, you know, continuing to uh, have the opportunity to play the game that we love in a place that we love is amazing. And, you know, like, like you talked about, I think the back end is an amazing strength of our team. Uh, the corners, the safeties, and nickels, everything in between that's end up going to help 
our rush uh, become better. So I'm excited to do that. Talk about Jordan Hare. Are you excited to get in there and get in that first first game, the environment? I know, you know, you um, – and, and just talk about that. How, are you excited? I'm super excited. You know, I played in a lot of different stadiums with a lot of different fans and played college football for a long time. But, you know, being in that stadium is going to be unique for me and uh, Tiger Walk and everything in between, the Eagle flight. So I'm excited to experience it. So this is the first time I've ever met you, but, I mean, you just kind of come across as very cool, calm, collected. But I can tell you're a leader type. Yes, and you talked about your faith. Yeah, you have not been at Auburn very long, but have you been able to use that leadership quality and your faith to kind of keep some of the younger guys on a on a even ground? I mean, from your experience of the yeah, college game, one hundred percent. And I think leadership is unique because a lot of people look at it as a burden, but I look at it, I look at it as a badge of honor. You know, you, you think leadership takes consistency and that's why I'm so cool and confident because I know my confidence comes from the Lord and I can sit here before you today and, and know I have to be consistent and confident within who I am myself so I'm able to lead the young guys so I think you know that's just a byproduct of who I am as a person and I think a lot of the young guys continue to learn from me and I'm excited to continue to learn from them as well because as they learn from me the program ends up elevating which will be great for the for now and the future. We talked a little bit about Coach Freeze earlier. Uh, somebody that's obviously been in this league before, but now returning and first year at Auburn. What makes him, I know you got into it a little bit, but what makes him so charismatic and someone that just a lot of guys want to play for? And just, again, we know that season tickets are sold out. We know the energy around the program is certainly not lacking. Just talk a little bit about what uh, what Coach Freeze brings in that, that, that arena. A lot of people get enamored by the offensive numbers, and obviously he's a great offensive mind who's going to put up points, but who he is as a human being speaks volumes to how he leads a program. His connectivity uh, from player to player, from coach to player, from coach to coach is unique, and also him, like I said, that foundation from being a faith-based allows him to have confidence in who he is and can seem to lead us in the right way. For you, Elijah, here in your in your season, our senior season here at Auburn, sixth year, what do you want to get out of this season personally, some personal goals, and then team-wise, we know you got that Iron Bowl at the end of the year, which is going to end up being senior day. Just, just talk about some of your goals personally and as a team this year. I just want to see continuous improvement. I have made plays in this league uh, for a long time, and I know I have the confidence and the ability to do so. Additionally, you know, as a team, I want to be able to see continuous improvement from week one to week however many weeks we go. So I just wanted to see that, and I want to see the product of our process you know, show up on tape every single Saturday. And lastly, man, I like that suit. Thank you very I much. I like that a lot. Where uh, We asked we ask Cam Stutz as well about where he got his suit. So talk about talk about your suit. What this is uh, Miguel Wilson out of Atlanta. So a former teammate of mine, Mike Wright, is currently the quarterback, uh, one of the quarterbacks in Mississippi State. He came here last year and got a, got a Miguel Wilson suit. It's based out of Atlanta, and this guy got me right in three days to get ready for the SEC Media Days. Got my orange and blue and represent the Auburn family. I feel good. Absolutely, man. Got anything going on the inside of the coat? Cam had. Oh, Cam man, had, I, got, I, I got nothing, man. I ain't uh, got nothing on the inside, man. Okay, Cam showed off yeah, the yeah, hobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so man. Like, man, that's, that's hot. That's fire. Yeah, I appreciate you. We love man. it. Elijah, we appreciate the time today. We look forward to seeing you out there this year, War Eagle, man. Thank you, man, very much. I appreciate y'all and always, War Eagle. War Eagle, that is Elijah McAllister joining us today on Sports Call. As you just heard right there, again, Elijah McAllister, senior linebacker for Auburn, transfer from Vandy. Uh, joined us on the program earlier. Again, excited that we got all three players from Auburn on the show today. We now welcome on Cam Barry to the show. You've heard him on a couple interviews already this week. Cam, welcome to the show today. And, uh, again, before we get into any of the uh, Auburn guys or anything like that, how's your first experience of SEC Media Day so far? It's been great. I'm glad to be here. I, I'm loving it, um, you know, meeting all these different people, getting to talk to, you know, the players like we did uh, earlier today. And, uh, yeah, just taking it all in, honestly, just a real, you know, I'm just super happy to be here, um, blessed to be be here and be able to do what I love and experience all of this. Um, 
you know, for the first time and, and hopefully to be able to experience it uh, multiple times more. So I'm just really glad to be here, really excited to continue to, you know, experience this. And, yeah, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm over the moon. So we've, uh, we've just had Elijah McAllister on. Uh, and uh, what, what have you thought yeah. about some of these Auburn guys, Cam, as uh, they're looking ahead to a new regime and a, and a new season? They seem excited, and, and they seem very, very into into what Hugh Freeze um, is is preaching. What he's, you know, what he's trying to instill in this team, the culture change, a lot of the hard work, um, and and you know, talking to guys like Elijah McAllister, who, by the way, is extremely well spoken, very, very well spoken uh, individual. I, I noticed that from the jump. He he was very prepared um, when he had his speech. Apparently, he was the first player to have an have an um, have an opening speech prepared. Um, so uh, I mean, just a you know very calculated, uh, well thought out guy. Going for his third degree at um, two, he had two degrees at Vanderbilt. Going for his third at Auburn. Um, so you know, and and he's going to be a the Jack linebacker out there. So uh, really excited, and and it's it's. Like I said, these guys, um, they, they seem very, very into what Hugh Freeze has going on, uh, and they all seem extremely, extremely bought in. The one thing I was going to say about uh, Elijah McAllister, and I mentioned it in that interview, he he comes across as so intelligent. He, he comes Definitely. Across, he comes across absolutely. as a guy that would absolutely be a two-degree a two, uh, guy at Vanderbilt University. Uh, and he comes across as a guy that has a very, very bright future ahead of him. Uh, and that was the thing that I was so struck by. And I have to imagine, and, and he spoke about his faith uh, a little bit. So when you, take, when you take into consideration he's an older guy, he's been around, he's been around the SEC. Granted, it's been at Vanderbilt, not Auburn. However, that mentality that he brings to the table and that he can bring to the room, you think about, you think about younger guys in this program that have come from really, really bad situations, and they need somebody that they can look up to that is maybe not necessarily a coach, but one of their, uh, yeah, one of their yeah. teammates. A leader. A leader, a yeah, team sure. leader and not a coach. He seems like the guy that is the one that could take them under his wings. Somebody and, who could truly say, set an example. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, listen, absolutely. You, don't, you don't have to be a fool. You don't have to act a fool. You don't have to do stupid crap. Do your business, yeah, and, and handle it. And that's what he found. I I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with him. First time ever meeting him. Just I mean, his intelligence. Just I mean, it, it jumps out at you. At just how smart that guy is. Yeah, and he's joining a side of the football that uh, that has not had a lot of question marks over the last few years for right. Auburn. He, he's joining a side of the football that has brought in some transfers, some good transfers on that side. But it, it's not like the offensive line was or the the uh, wide receiver room was where it was Hugh Freeze has got to address this right now. They've got to address this right now. It's, it's a side of the football that I think a lot of Auburn fans still have confidence in. Uh, in, in that defensive side, and so he, he's adding to it. He's adding a lot of smarts. Obviously, he went to Vanderbilt, and so he's he's a, he's you know intelligent, but he's got a, a he's got a lot of football smarts. He's he's got a lot of football smarts on him, and it's uh, it's it's you know it you, it com- comes off when you talk to him. It really does. You can tell that how how you know what his football IQ is what his his mental IQ is it, it's it's a he is going to be a pivotal part of this defense 
and the fact that he is experienced. There, there's a lot of transfers that came into this program that are from smaller conferences and and don't have the same, you know, don't have not played in the SEC. He's played defense in the SEC against some of the best offenses in the country. Uh, you know, last year, I, I can't tell you Vanderbilt's schedule off the top of my head. I know they played Georgia. I know they played Florida. They played all the SEC. But he played defense against some of the top uh, offenses, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky. It's it, he, He's joining a defense uh, and, and helping them in, in what they need to, to get accomplished this year. Yeah, and you know with Elijah McAllister, look, I mean, again, the there was some production there. Uh, did not, you know, absolutely wow the stat sheet or that sort of thing. You always wonder how a guy like that would fit into a bigger program. There was a guy, obviously, we've talked about uh, Jalen McLeod uh, earlier uh, in the offseason, well, the transfer from App State that did have a, a couple productive games at App State. But with these guys, you know, it, it, it goes both ways. You're, you're fighting with more co- uh, fighting with, with tougher competition, although obviously McAllister was in the league. But then also you have more talent around you. And, uh, and that sort of narrative doesn't open up other pathways for you uh, to succeed. This is a part of the team, though, that, that I, I think that we've not given a lot of talk to. We've started to more in recent time as we're starting to break down the season a little bit more, get starting to get into preview season and all that good stuff. But, again, we've talked about in small doses how the defensive front last year was not overly impressive. It was one of the weaker fronts Auburn's had in a, in a while. It did not stop the run very well. Its best players that were up front were pass rushers like Derek Hall, Colby Wooden, and they are not on this team anymore. So you're really replacing the best part of what was already maybe an average unit. And, and so there are going to need to be key contributors that we're not expecting, not anticipating, that on paper may not be the five-star stud uh, that, that we we talked about like yesterday with like Harold Perkins of LSU, you know, someone that jumps off the page. It's going to be by committee production. That's not just for the pass rushers. That could very well be for the linebacking level too where they're going to have to rotate some guys early in the year. Uh, where they may not just have the the every down type of guys all over the place that, that you want out there no matter what, but certainly front seven wise there's going to have to be a lot of new production on the team and there's going to be, again, we talk about the new faces. It, it's not been as sexy to talk about, but there's going to be as many new faces as any uh, up front for Auburn in, the, in that front seven. Yeah, these these guys are definitely going to have to prove uh, prove themselves um, and, and just be as physical as they possibly can. They're they're just going to have to really, really show out. I mean, you know, like you said, McAllister, he's been in the league um, already, but a lot of these new faces, like you said, they're they're unproven. They're going to have to see and, and rotate and figure out who works best where and and all these different things. So it, it's gonna it's going to be a process. Um, you know they're not going to come out and immediately be extremely productive. I don't think. I think they're going to have to kind of get their feet wet in the league a little bit, um, or at least just within the team aspect and actually playing playing Auburn football to to see if um, if they'll be able to produce uh, what we have become accustomed to expecting to see from an Auburn D line. We're going to take our first time out now of our number three when we come back. We're going to go ahead and play that interview with Zach Blackerby as Zach Blackerby, the host of Locked On Auburn Podcast, will join us. We had a great conversation with Zach earlier on a lot of different Auburn topics and SEC topics. Stay tuned. That's coming up next. 
Want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. to SEC Media Days 2023 on Radio Row here in Nashville, Tennessee. And we're now pleased to be joined by the host of the Locked On Auburn podcast. We got Zach Blackerby today. Zach, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm good, guys. How are we doing? Uh, Nashville's been great so far. Yeah. It, it, uh, it has been a lot of fun. It's been very smoothly run. I don't know if you recall a few years ago, first year in Atlanta, well, they had Radio Row, you know, disjointed from the College Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. Last year they fixed that. We were all in uh, in the Hall of Fame. But that first year we were, like, walking outside. It was like a seven- or eight-minute walk to get to the, the main media room and stuff. It was brutal. Yeah, and then last year wasn't – I mean, it was better, but, like, it still wasn't fixed. You still had to, like, weirdly go out and then up and over. Sure. It's all right here this time. I mean, I, I love the layout of this place. It's been excellent. So let's let's get into Auburn a little bit here, Zach. Yeah. Obviously a, an off season with a lot of player movement and in this age of portal that's always going to increase but 20 some odd players in the portal not to mention the high school stuff just kind of rate how Auburn did not only in terms of the quantity but in the terms of quality as well yeah I mean well you look at those 20 transfer guys most of them are going to start or at least be in the rotation so I mean not only did they just get bodies which is kind of what it felt like happened in the transfer portal in the previous seasons. He got players. I mean, he rebuilt the offensive line. He got several guys that are either going to be starters or be in the starting rotation on the defensive line. May have gotten your starting linebackers. Um, Then the receiver room looks totally different than it did 365 days ago. So these are all guys who are going to compete. And, you know, quarterback, obviously, it seems like it's going to be Peyton Thorne. We'll we'll, we'll see. Robbie Ashford's going to do everything he can to to make that not happen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the quality is certainly there. But and I'm sure you guys have talked about this with some of the other media folks here this week. Is we don't really know, like, is this going to work or not? I think on paper it makes a ton of sense. I think Auburn's picked up two or three extra wins than they would have if they hadn't have done all of this. But they've got to put it on the field, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see if they're able to do it. And speaking of just some excitement and, and how Hugh Freeze has retooled this team, uh, Auburn set a record for. Uh, season ticket sales and, yeah. and 67,000 I think 500 tickets something like that um, just talk about how the fans seem to kind of pick up on how he's changing the culture and and built, really built some new excitement for the team yeah I mean I think Auburn fans are desperate for a good football team again I mean it's uh, it's like as a fan base we're just like longing for some sort of excitement somebody to cheer for in during here stadium we saw that movement really start with Cadillac, right, against Texas A&M. I mean, I think that's going to be a game that Auburn folks talk about 20 years from now. Like, in the history of Auburn lore, when Cadillac led Auburn to that SEC win, it's going to be part of it. Then I don't think the energy's really slowed down. They hire Hugh Freeze. He flips seven guys that were committed to other, you know, big-time programs, and Auburn fans are rewarding them. I mean, that's always the big thing that Pat Dye said over and over and over again. If you love Auburn, Auburn will love you back. And I think Hugh Freeze has already kind of bought into that more so than uh, than the previous regime did in their entire two years here. 
I think, Zach, when we're looking at trying to parlay that momentum, as you said, it really has changed the equation of, all right, this team was probably around a six-win team, just given also what Brian Harsin did. Now the hope is you can kind of expedite the process a little bit. Where are you in terms, and, I, and, and with Auburn-related, but also just overall with the state of college football, what is the new timetable for success? Because we've seen in years past, back when it was more of a, a slower roster turnover, the four- to five-year plan. Yeah. But it seems like it's just constantly sped up. Where, where's the proper level of expectations? We go year one, year two, year three. Yeah, I think I think it varies based on you know what your roster looks like. But I think Hugh Freeze is putting the pressure on himself for this to be a – a two- or three-year build because he talks time and time again, the 2024 and 2025 recruiting classes is what's going to make or break his tenure. And he's right. And so he's, uh, I mean, he's killing the 2024 class so far. They need more dudes, but it seems like over the next three weeks that's certainly going to fall into place, and Auburn has a chance to have a top-ten class. And so I still think it's three or four years, but Hugh Freeze, uh, he wants to win a national championship. And just talking to folks close to him, like he's eyeing the 12-team expanded playoff next year. I think he believes that Auburn could be in a situation to do that. The issue is a lot of these positions that he rebuilt so quickly, you're going to have to do it again. right? I mean, you're going you're gonna to need to dress up the offensive line because it seems like most of those guys are planning to leave after this year or they run out of eligibility. You're going to have to revamp your running back room. If Peyton Thorne's really good, you may lose him to the NFL draft, and you're going to have to rebuild your defensive back room, which I think is the best position group on this team. And so I think you're going to have to lean on the portal just as much this year as you did last year. And so he may have to flip the roster again to where it's all of his dudes just about. That's not necessarily a bad thing. And then that following year when it's really his program, I think that's kind of where it's like, okay, you know, what are you going to do, Hugh Freeze? Let's look at the passing dynamic, not only from the Peyton Thorne side of things, but also the wide receiver room. It's been a long time since there's a 1,000-yard wide receiver. Yeah. And what struck me is that Hugh Freeze has targeted a completely different type of wide receiver than what we've seen in the Malzahn days. Gone are the jet sweep type of guys, bubble screen, bubble screen type of guys. We've got these 6'3", six, 6'4", six, dudes coming in here. What do you think of the pieces that they've added? And is that your preferred style of wide receiver, seeing some of these bigger body, longer guys? I think it's about balance, and it's not – that, you know, Malzahn and Harson didn't go after those guys. It's just they didn't land these big physical players on the outside. I think Hugh Freeze has a better track record with those. He can go to these kids and show them Laquan Treadwell or A.J. Brown and say, hey, I can help you turn into this, this guy that the NFL really covets. He's willing to pay a lot of money down the road. Auburn it's not that they didn't have talented receivers. They just had six slot guys that all right. couldn't be on the field at the same time. And, and so it's all about that balance because the best receiver in Auburn's room is still probably Javarius Johnson, despite, you know, everybody paying attention to Jair Shorter or Shane Hooks or Nick Marner, all these big-bodied outside guys that they brought in through the portal. But they still got a great mix of that. I mean, they've got Johnson. They've got Coy Moore. They brought in Caleb Burton, who – hasn't really played at the next level, but if Ohio State wanted to play receiver, like, there's something there, right? Their track record's pretty good. So I think it's about that balance. And, you know, also they dressed up the tight end room with Rivaldo Fairweather. You know, Luke Deal, of course, is here in Nashville this week as well. And so it's, it's all about balance, and it's that nice mix. I still think you're going to see some of the gadget stuff, some of the bubble stuff, because 
A Hugh Freeze offense and a Philip Montgomery style offense. They want defenses to have to defend every blade of grass and constantly think and make decisions. And I just don't know if we've really had that at Auburn over the last few years. So uh, it's about balance, but man, he's uh, he's getting some big wide receivers. It's going to be fun to see how that translates. And then talking about high school recruiting when it comes to the wide receiver position, obviously uh, Auburn just missed on Cam Coleman, uh, who, who decided to commit to Texas A&M. Um, how, I guess, is Hugh Freeze going to be able to talk to these receivers and say, hey, we can still get you at a solid level and get you to the NFL? Um, does he have to, have to kind of just sit there and prove it, or, or how do you think he's going to have to go about that? I'm sure there's some of that proof of concept what does it actually look like and I think some guys are listening to him I mean Bryce Kane you know the the kid from Mobile just got his four star on on three I think when 247 and rivals update their rankings he'll probably be a four star there as well Perry Thompson's a guy that it seems like there's a good chance he could possibly flip in the near future everybody's kind of eyeing that weekend at Big Cat Big Cat weekend coming up at the end of the month but you know I I've asked a lot of folks, like, would you bet on Cam Coleman staying at Texas A&M, or would you take the field somewhere not Texas A&M? And all of them have said the field, you know. And so we'll uh, we'll see what all happens there. But I think I think a few things matter. Like, one, how does the passing offense look under Hugh Freeze? But also, what's the offense look like at Texas A&M right. as well? I mean, you know, we heard from Jimbo earlier in the week, and it's like. You know, he, he's excited about his controversial yeah. offensive coordinator, but also didn't really want to talk about it. No, really so did not. we got to see what that looks like. It, does, it may be off to a, that marriage may be off to a rocky start. We don't know. Uh, well, certainly would not be surprising with those two personalities. Talking to Zach Black, yeah. the host of the Locked On Auburn podcast today. A couple more for you, Zach, yeah. as we sit here on Radio Row. Let's look at some of the teams around Auburn space coming into 2023. The Texas A&M's, the Arkansas's, the Ole Miss's mm-hmm. of the world. Some of these teams have had fascinating up and down when we talk about A&M in 2020. Right. They were winning a New Year's Six Bowl. Last year, they were wondering what the buyout was for Jimbo Fisher. Someone like Lane Kiffin, where some of the best success in Ole Miss history for the first 20 or the last 20 games until the final three to four games of last year, the Auburn drama and all of that. So as you compare these teams to Auburn, what would be a key for Auburn to try and win these 50-50 type of games and kind of jump the line in the SEC West, even though it is the last year of the, of the divisions? Yeah, I mean, even when Auburn was playing at its worst over the last few years, it was close with those teams. And so I think the tricky part of this is of the three that you mentioned – uh, two of those are on the road. Obviously, Auburn goes to A&M, and it's going to be kind of early in the season. And Auburn's going to start a lot of dudes that didn't go through spring. And so what does that look like? Are they going to be able to kind of have their feet up under them and ready to go at that point? And they also do a, a road trip to Berkeley, you know, not that long before that. And so, you know, just where are you as a football team and how you handle all that? And then you, you host Ole Miss, which is great, but then you go to Fayetteville, a place where like Auburn really hasn't been discouraged when they go there just because I think Auburn's a better program than Arkansas. But there's a lot of buzz about K.J. Jefferson. Can he back all of that up? We'll certainly see. But, yeah, those are three of the few like 50-50 games. I think at Cal is interesting. I think Mississippi State at home is interesting. I think when they come back here to Nashville at Vandy, like that should be a win, but you still you got you to gotta make sure you play that game and, and take care of business. But look, if Auburn goes, you know, 500 in these 50-50 games, I mean, you're looking at seven and five or eight and four. It's just, can they win the games 
uh, that are going to be close in the fourth quarter because I think all those games will be close in the fourth quarter. And then, Zach, want to get your take on this eight versus nine game schedule dynamic, what it would mean for Auburn and some of rivalries that yeah. they already lost the Florida rivalry back the last time the league expanded and, and now not going to play LSU in 24th, the eight game. Where are you on obviously trying to maintain the Georgia aspect of it as they move into a more permanent model we project in 2025. Maybe they do another one-year song and dance, but just where are you on all the scheduling topics there? Yeah, I'm going to go nine games. I prefer nine over eight, but not necessarily for the reason a lot of people think. I mean, the rivalries are cool. The rivalries are part of college football, but I still think those are going to be around regardless, even if you don't play them every year. Because the way it's set up is you're going to play a team every other year, at least two times every four years. It doesn't necessarily mean every other year, but I think that's fine. I think rivalries are a little overrated just because I think you're going to have other, like, matchups naturally form over time. The biggest argument against more games forever was, well, they, they can't handle they can't handle the physicality of all that. The kids can't handle that. And then the COVID year happened, and it's like, well, you played 10. You played 10, and everything was fine. And that was, right. I loved it. I loved just that having was- SEC games every year. That was the best part of COVID. Um, so, yeah, I, I like nine just because it's more than eight. And we don't have to do this weird thing where we have to rely on schools to potentially schedule like a uh, you know a non-conference thing because it's not all equal, right? And, and I'm not saying college football is about you know true parity or anything like that, but I, I think it kind of takes a few variables out of it when we're trying to all like play the same game and you know there maybe there's different rules for each team, but. Yeah, I, I'm pro nine, not necessarily for the rivalries, just because give me more SEC games. And so I assume you, on, on top of that nine, you'd say the teams we're still doing the one power five nine conference game too. Uh, I'm okay with that. I don't think we necessarily need it. Um, I think there's value in kind of helping other schools, the money games that you know within your state or your neighboring states. I think that's important to help support those programs, but. Um, I'd be fine with all that. I don't think that'll pass. I don't think the coaches will vote for a nine-game SEC schedule and you have to play a non-conference P5. I just don't think it'll pass. But if that were to pass, yeah, I'd be all for it. Zach Blackerby joining us today, the Locked On Auburn podcast host. Zach, where can we find the Locked On Auburn podcast? Yeah, available wherever you get your podcast and uh, also every day on YouTube. And you can read all of our written work at auburndaily.com. Sounds great. Zach, we appreciate the time today. And the best you. of luck with the podcast throughout the rest of uh, Media Days week, but then also going through for the fall. Absolutely, guys. Thanks. Of course. So Zach Black will be joining us today on Sports Talk. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here today. Starting to wind down here this Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Radio Row here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, it's been a very wet and rainy last couple of hours. Uh, again, not as dramatic as uh, what's happened just next door with our, with our friends at 
uh, out of Mobile. But, uh, yeah, no, they uh, have had a, a certain uh, – had a severe thunderstorm warning here coming through here, had a, uh, another deal where uh, I, I think that uh, for the most part, uh, you know, we were trying to have an outdoor event this evening but uh, have not been able to – uh, confirm or deny if we're going to be able to do that because of the inclement weather. So I uh, just heard from Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn. Again, kind enough to chat with us earlier today. Again, that's the dynamic of media days too is uh, a lot of these uh, people, it's best to pre-record with them. It gives us the flexibility, gives them flexibility with everyone's busy schedule. But we got a hit on a lot of different Auburn topics with Zach, one thing that I wanted to kind of bounce around to, again, it's not been brought up with the, the personnel that we had on our show today and necessarily too much of BD Days, although it was asked in the main room. Again, these wide receivers fascinate me. Is yeah. uh, a lot of talent, a lot of uh, bigger wide receivers. And we know that a lot of these, these successful Ole Miss receivers for Hugh Freeze were kind of those bigger bodied guys. We also know that Auburn in years past, kind of due to their scheme and what they like to do had kind of the smaller, quicker type of wide receiver. So uh, just having guys uh, like Hooks, Mardner uh, in here uh, this year is exciting just to see kind of a different element. I know that Hugh Freeze and Gus Malzahn get compared a good bit, but one way that they do clearly differ is that type of personnel they like out there uh, on the end. Yeah, these guys will be exciting to see uh, just a completely different type of wide receiver that – that Auburn and Hugh Freeze uh, seem to be targeting. Obviously, you kind of do need what you know the previous regime was um, was uh, um, recruiting. You know, in terms of the small slot guys, because you can always use those. But you know, it definitely seemed like there was an oversaturation of that type of wide receiver. You kind of, you know, the the I guess the last one that we kind of had that was really a go a big time go up and get them type of wide receiver that could you know win those one on one plays was Seth Seth Williams, um, you know haven't really seen a guy like that since then, um, you know so so it, it'll be interesting to see uh, and, and um, going back to Seth he he was he was pr- he was pretty successful at Auburn uh, had a little you know bit of problems here and there but you know he he was successful as a receiver I feel like for the most part um, and. So these type of guys that, that Hugh Freeze is bringing in, it'll be a it'll be a good change of pace. It'll be good to see that that you know we have six four, six three, six five, like all out there ready to you know potentially dominate their matchups, win these one on one balls, win you know just go up and get them, be physical, different things like that, and you know might still be able to have plenty of speed and and, and take off. So it'll be exciting to see. I'm definitely curious to see what these guys will be able to do. Um, and, and hopefully they will end up being a productive group because Auburn hasn't had a 1,000-yard receiver in who knows how long. And, you know, it, it also helps when you're going up against the, the DBs of the SEC. It, it, you look around NFL rosters right now, uh, and really for the past several years, and it, there's a lot of SEC defensive backs on those rosters, especially from the SEC West. When you talk about guys out of Alabama, out of LSU, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a big it, – it, it's it's really it's a plus when you can get some of those bigger body wide receivers to go up against those very aggressive DBs, and, and you know it. We've seen when when Auburn's defense uh, as as recruited un, you know some undersized DBs. You've seen uh, when the bigger wide receivers go after them. You've seen what's what can happen. I don't want to bring up bad memories, but the national championship game in against Florida State a few years Come ago. 
And so it, when if you can get bigger wide receivers in, uh, it, it helps in going up against the, the defense of the SEC. And it, and if you can spread the field out a little bit more against some of the more aggressive defenses like a Georgia, like an Alabama uh, in, in the conference, that opens up the running game too, which is something that Auburn has prided itself on uh, for many, many years of having one of the top running games in the country and always having a, a top-level uh, running back in their in their stable. And if, if you know, the defenses know that you don't have a threat on the outside, they're going to sell in. They're going to sell in on the run, and they're going to stop the run, and then you can't do anything. And so, having those threats on the outside that can go up and, and can get, you know, win the win the fifty-fifty balls and get those battle and win those battles on the outside really opens up the offense for Philip Montgomery and Hugh Freeze. Real quickly before we uh, get to the nightly TV guide and wrap things up today, also heard from other teams. Heard from Vanderbilt at the beginning of the day. Heard from Georgia. Uh, heard from Mississippi State at the end of the day. Of course, can't get to all those programs like we did yesterday, but hit on Georgia for just a minute. Yes, the question was asked. It was via Pat, Pat Forty who asked about the traffic violations and, and, and that sort of team uh, or that sort of thing. Uh, you also just had some a history lesson. What was it, Minnesota in the 30s? That was the last time someone yeah. repeated. And, again, you look at Georgia's schedule, and, again, I know that, that Steve was arguing about it earlier. You know, by the SEC standards, still comes out on the easier end for sure. Uh, and, and Georgia will probably make it look easier with the way they play. Again, I would contest that an average team from another conference would, would not necessarily love the schedule either. Uh, but from Georgia's point of view, they've got to feel really good about the season. They're going to be in the mix for that three-peat and for that history. But, it, but Kirby Smart was not uh, really – too interested in that. I think the comment he made is, I don't know if the kids are going to uh, be that enthralled by a, a 1930s history lesson. I don't think that's going to necessarily motivate them as much. But again, Georgia, they do have a quarterback uh, dilemma of sorts, or at least a uh, unproven commodity at quarterback. Uh, but just relying on, again, that, that defense, which has been as, as good as it gets the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, you, you look and we we talked about it, uh, and we we, were, we you know we talked about it all week, and people have talked about it all you know throughout this this day for Georgia, uh, talking about the the quarterback uh, part of it. You know, you look at teams like Alabama, you look at teams like Auburn that had that brought in transfer quarterbacks around the conference. Uh, you know, just keeping it local. There, there's question marks. There's some question marks about what's going to happen with Auburn's quarterback position. There's question marks about at Alabama. There are question marks at Georgia, but it's not the same question marks because they don't have an offense that are that's like everybody else's. They they rely on their defense to, to dominate games and win games, and they all they need is a quarterback that can come in. And I don't I don't like to say game manage, but basically you, you hand it off to the to the five thousand uh, five star running backs they've got in the backfield, and you throw it a couple times to Brock Bowers, who is ten times taller than any defensive back in the SEC, and you, you've got a touchdown. And so Georgia's offense of scheme still is, is very different. Their quarterback questions are still there. It's still a, a, a hot topic around Athens, but it's not the same as if, you know, as an Auburn and an Alabama quarterback battle here in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, if we had had Kirby Smart or the opportunity to talk to him or if he uh, – if, if I had asked a question in the main media room or something like that, I would ask him. So as part of the quarterback battle – just how many times you're willing to target Brock Bowers. Like how quickly in the progression do you go to Brock Bowers, even if it's a play that's not 
specifically designed for him. He's going to be one of the best players in the country this year uh, and, and is going to be a force. It's almost going to be something where it, if you're Georgia, you might be able to make some plays just because of his existence out on the field. Like if you're the offensive coordinator and you're trying to – I believe it's Mike Bobo, right, mm-hmm. who went back to Georgia. Uh, you know, if, if it is – if there's a way there to use him kind of as a facade and uh, as a decoy, you know, they, they might be able to make some explosive plays out right. of that. Uh, but certainly Brock Bowers, that was one of the, the players that Georgia did bring to media days too. And uh, that that's going to be insane to watch him uh, play this year. They're going to be very active with him. Down to our last minute or two of the show today on this Tuesday edition of Sports Call Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what we got tonight? Well, there's a a limit on the sports action for you tonight, so we're going to give you a couple movie picks for you. Uh, It is raining here in Nashville, but it is not raining food. But you can watch it rain food at 6 o'clock on Nickelodeon with the kids. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Two. The second one. The second one. Two. And so you can check that out tonight. Uh, Also, tonight at 6.30 on HBO, Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen, if you're into some action robots fighting each other. Always. If you're also into some weather stuff, it's also Shark Week. And so tonight at 9 o'clock on Sci-Fi... It's Sharknado 3. Yes. Oh, hell no. I'm in. That's right. I'm it's in. the third one. I'm Sharknado in. 3, starring NASCAR drivers. Brad Keselowski uh, is, is one of the co-stars. Also starring David Hasselhoff. It's it's a phenomenal series. But it's, I, it is yeah, Shark Week. It'll really week. teach you about weather. I wish it, you uh, could all oh, see yeah. Ryan's face right It now. is Shark Week, so Sharknado is on tonight. Uh, three. Well, they're actually playing a lot of Sharknados, but Sharknado 3 is my favorite, so that's at 9 o'clock. Oh, that's that's cool. actually just terrible news. That's <laughs> and then your sports action for tonight, a double dose of baseball for you. 6 o'clock on TBS, the L.A. Dodgers. Visit the Baltimore Orioles. World Series preview, question mark? I don't know. Uh, then at 6.20 on Valley Sports South, the Braves are back in action as they take on the Arizona Diamondbacks to open up a three-game series at Truist Park. Uh, and it is the second time the Braves are playing the, the D-backs this year, met earlier this year and Chase Field. And that is Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. And that will do it for the show today. Brooks, thank you for being here this afternoon. Thank you for all the hard work you've been doing. We'll see you again tomorrow. I'll be here. Tom Peavy, thank you for being here. We'll see you again tomorrow, sir. Yeah, got to mention Tory Hunter in our uh, birthdays in sports. Pine Bluff High School, Arkansas, go Zebras. Zebras. Wow. Okay. Never heard that one before. Awesome. Cam Berry, thank you for being here, sir. And, uh, uh, get some sleep this evening. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, we'll see I you will. again tomorrow. Yeah, glad to be here. Can't wait for it tomorrow. And, again, appreciate Brian Dontry for joining us for the first couple hours as well. And, as always, we appreciate all the various guests, including the Auburn guests that we were able to have on today as well. For Brian Dontry, for Brooks Childress, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy, and T.P. Hammock running the board, I'm Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.